I think we've got the video. Round it there, Roshi. You ever on standby? Do you? There you go. <laughs> that was the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life. My God, it was absolutely brutal. What, what happened? OTB AM live weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. Half past seven on this Friday morning on OTBAM. Delighted to uh, have you with us. Thanks for joining us as per always. OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. We're live in the usual places, the OTB Sports app and across the streams as well. So keep the comments coming in this morning. Delighted to have Gavin Cooney of the 42.ie in studio this morning. Good morning, Gavin. Morning, Shane. How are you? Uh, you were in the cold confines of the Aviva Stadium press box last night for Republic of Ireland 1, Norway 2. Disappointing night, I think, is the is the best word to use. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty drab stuff. Uh, this is really this is really off-Broadway stuff, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> a, a friendly against Norway, two sides not going to the World Cup, playing days before the World Cup mm. in, an un, in an unsanctioned window. I thought international football might be a little bit more exciting mm. given this was, you know, this was unsanctioned and this was... Uh, is it technically illegal international football? <laughs> uh, but no, it wasn't. Uh, and what energy or what atmosphere might have been in the stadium was obviously sapped from it beforehand with the news that Erling Haaland wouldn't be there. So, no, it was pretty drab night. Um, first half was... The first half was the kind of game that the, that they'll show to broadcasters. It was brutal. But w- when the when the next broadcaster writes auction for the UEFA Nations League is up, <laughs> they'll sit down and make the broadcasters watch this game. And you'll realise, what an advert for the UEFA Nations League. You forget how few meaningless friendlies we have to play now every year. Um, but this was meaningless in a kind of a, like a Beckett level. You know, it was just such, <laughs> um, such a kind of a drab experience. First half uh, was a total non-event, really. Ireland hogged the ball. They didn't really do much with it. There was no real, Alan Brown said afterwards that there was no real zip or pace in, in their passing or anything that mm-hmm. they did. Now, Norway didn't do a whole lot either, uh, but Ireland didn't defend set piece as well, so one and a half time. And then Ireland raised themselves in the second half, and then as soon as they got level, they just sank back into their torpor again and, yeah. and tried to lose it. I mean, Norway almost won it accidentally. Like, they didn't put... They, they, they were trying to win it, essentially. They really weren't. Yeah. And then the other guy just hoisted the free kick into the box that unfortunately Nathan Collins couldn't defend very well and it was a good finish by the striker first time Atmosphere wise like I was watching through the TV and it seemed fairly subdued now of course the fans are reacting to, to what's what's before them on the pitch but it seemed fairly fairly drab in many ways the atmosphere as well Yeah it was pretty low energy there were times in the first half I felt that the crowd and in the second half as well that the crowd wanted to get into this and wanted to get carried away and there was quite um Quite a very, quite a good reception and quite a loud reception among supporters for just winning corners and things like that. Things that normally wouldn't earn that much kudos, but there was just so little happening on the pitch for so long oh. that it was very hard for engaged. So it was like ten thousand discreet conversations all happening around the stadium, just this like low hum, this low hum of conversation um, because there wasn't enough on the pitch. And that's I don't know Ireland under under Stephen Kenny. I, I wrote in my report they're they're forever aside matching like the exact pitch of the occasion yeah. so that's great on a, like a night when the the atmosphere is charged and the opposition are high calibre but it's not a good trade to have on, ga- on games like these like they're a lot they seem they seem at the moment a lot more comfortable feeding off the crowd than doing the feeding themselves a couple of comments already coming in uh, didn't even watch lads no interest uh, fair enough each to their own Steve says lame and tame from Ireland too soft and brittle 
The defeat was how we lost to Wales, Finland, Armenia. In all games we lose, we have 25 minutes where we are good, but 65 where we are awful. It's a good point. I mean, I was trying to think about it afterwards. Have there have there been like a complete night? Has there been a complete 90 minute performance? Under Stephen Kenny, and I'm struggling really because even the Scotland game, the three 0 win at home, where Ireland scored some brilliant goals and were very comfortable in the second half, that might have been different. You know, Scotland missed those couple of chances early on in the first half when Ireland, I think, was Shane Duffy a couple of times gave the ball away trying yes. to play out from the back. So I'm, and that's even the Armenia game in September. We thought we were, uh, we thought Ireland were kind of cruising to a comfortable victory there, and then all of a sudden it's two two out of nowhere, and obviously they rescue it. So no, I think that. I I think that's a good point. I am struggling to think of a 90-minute performance that they've put mm. together where you can say that's, uh, that's them at their best. Like the set pieces, the concession from set pieces is reasonably concerning. Like, oh, yeah. uh, I know Stephen Kenny speaking afterwards saying, uh, he was asked, he denied the suggestion that Anthony Barry and John Eustace mm. had, had this massive influence over set pieces and they were missing it. He said, absolutely not. I've always been in complete control around set pieces. But like, they were poor last night. Yeah. I know individual, you could say there's individual errors in there as well, which the manager can't really control. But overall, to be conceding goals like that was fairly sloppy. Yeah, Ireland aren't good enough to be giving away goals from set pieces. No. Like it's too easy. And, and Stephen Kenny was was quite critical of the fact that they did. He describes them as, as cheap, and his um, that goal, second goal, is cheap. In his RTE interview, said uh, that Ireland shot themselves in the foot and undid all the good work that they had in, uh, in getting back into the game. So no, I mean Nathan Collins should defend that second. That second goal better. I, th- I think he knows that. First goal seemed a more of a systems failure. Alan, like Jason Malumbi is in his own at the front post. Um, and then I can't remember who the Norwegian player runs towards him. Yeah. And he's been marked by Alan Brown. And Brown follows him and he shouldn't. He should stay where he is. And then that leaves the space for uh, Ostiger, the centre half who looped around. And that's the space from which he headed home. So that was a bit of a, that was more of a systems failure. Um, just on that John Eustace thing. So that, mm. that was my question. Now I kind of, I haven't thought about it again. I kind of made a bit of a hame to the question. What I was trying to get to was, you know, the the staff is undermanned. You know, we still the, Ireland still haven't got a replacement for John Eustace. Yeah, fair point. Um, and I just wonder, surely that this isn't this isn't ideal. Like, you know, I mean, it's not a criticism of those there. It's just that they they have only so many hours in the day, and other national staffs of these large backroom teams mm. with specific set piece coaches. Like we've heard so much about the Italian set piece coach um, in, uh, in, in during the Euros. I think is now Tottenham. I think. Yeah. Um, so I I just wondered that is is this this growing laxness from set pieces because it's not the first time Ireland have conceded from them is this a result of just not having a man, being a man down on the coaching staff and Kenny insisted no I think I think he interpreted my question as is this because you don't have Eustace or Anthony Barry yeah, he took on the staff literally. yeah he did yeah. and I, in fairness that's partly um, partly a consequence of how, how I phrased the question which had I had on my time again I wouldn't have phrased it that way <laughs> don't be so hard on yourself yeah. it was great uh, the yeah, and I guess when you're when you're losing staff members like that, really good staff members, you you gotta replace them. We gotta mm. replace them with someone. And even the from an attacking point of view, like that final third, especially in the first half, was just woeful. I, I feel like the Obafemi Robinson thing just never got going. No, no, it All. didn't. Uh, Kenny did talk about it afterwards. That in fairness, that they hadn't played together before, and he saw a bit a bit more from them in the second half. Yeah, certainly from Robinson improved a lot after half time but it, they just never connected well there was a moment in the second half when Robinson got to the byline and just cut the ball back and it was just behind Abafemi you know and he, and he you know, played another you know, half a yard in front of him would have been a goal um, so they never really connected very well the first half was just so slow and pedestrian and it's, it's another 
I think Kenny was quite forceful on RT in rejecting the idea that Ireland were too passive in the first half or were mm. a bit flat. Um, but they were. I mean, the, some of the passing early on in terms of taking lines and, and trying to play through Norway was okay. Like that first pass they'd get off, like Darrow, Shea into feet for Alan Brown. But then the next pass was often a little bit too slow. I think it was a game to show that Ireland still lack craft and guile in midfield now you're wondering what players could they bring in I would have loved to have seen Will Smallbone brought in yeah, he wasn't introduced at all sorry Evan um, Ferguson could have been brought in earlier even maybe yeah I thought. I just thought that that was the kind of game that you know Smallbone that type of player is a player Ireland need to add to yeah. that team so I'm slightly disappointed that we didn't see him earlier like other players that could do that role maybe Jack Byrne or Conor Ronan are either not playing at club level uh, or just have struggled with injury all season and are not at the level that, that mm. they can reach certainly in Jack Byrne's case so uh, in the second half like, Ireland's strength is down the flank certainly with Matt Doherty and with Callum O'Dowd who picked a left wing back who is playing there with his club but you know has been an attacker for years uh, Kenny said that Ireland tried to go through the middle of, of Norway too often in the first half uh, had more success in going wide in the second um, and look they created a flurry of chances mm. before they did equalise it was a great goal by Alan Brown he might have scored beforehand someone should have scored beforehand um, but again it's just that that laxness you know Ireland yeah. just I don't know they, they, they struggle sometimes to maintain a kind of an intent in their passing um, throughout a full game like it happened against Armenia as well like, and, and then we've seen slow starts after half time away yeah. to Scotland uh, in Poland against Ukraine so you know like if you look at the, the evolution of this team 2020 was when the team was deluged with debutants 2021 was when they found the right system for them 2022 has been like a year of kind of run the diagnostics and see what flaws are coming up we thought this would be the year where those players making their debuts will be like oh they're coming into their own it's two years down the line mm. Has but it really oh, yeah. Well, yeah, probably, probably not to the extent that we would have hoped for. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was all building up to your twenty twenty four qualifying. That entire long term plan has been mocked slightly by the draw that Ireland have got. <laughs> um, and look, I mean, the hope was that that Norway game would be a bit of a tune up for March. It's not. Um, uh, I don't know if, of the three players who came in. Maybe Alan Brown made the case for his inclusion. I'm not sure Robinson or O'Dowd really did. Um, and the opposition can't be. You know, I mean, there'd be a cracking atmosphere in March. So you, you, no Erling Haaland. What, yeah. like, I was asking Phil outside this morning. Like, what, what would the score have been if Haaland had been on the pitch? Now he made the point the the, the crowd would have and players therefore risen to the atmosphere if Haaland was on the pitch. So you, yeah. it's hard to. I uh, actually engage, kind but, of th- agree with Phil on that. Yeah. I have to say it just goes back to this thing that Ireland. You know, sometimes I feel it's not a it's not a technical issue with Ireland. Sometimes it is just an issue of intent and intensity. Really, yes. it's pretty in the first half, and I think Haaland being there would have sharpened everyone's senses because he mm. has to. He would have sharpened the crowd, and it would have been uh, louder throughout. There would have been more a kind of a palpable electricity before the game. I think, yeah. um, and you don't know. And then, like Norway, didn't really create many chances beyond the ones that they scored. Really, you know, so there weren't that many chances where you could point to and say, oh, you know, the the, the lad up front, Jorgen Larsson, missed that and Haaland would have scored yeah. there was the one shot after Bazuna gave the ball away so um, no there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot else I was reading uh, of course at half time and full time I was listening to the analysis and off the ball but Didi Hamman was on, on television giving them um, sticking the boot in I have to say to Ireland just reading some of the comments here he said the first half is as poor as I've seen uh, the manager hasn't won one game in two years that he needed to win it was an opportunity for some of the players to remind the manager when the France game comes around that I'm here, I'm here too but we talked about inconsistency Ireland were huffing and puffing uh, 90, over 90 minutes just not good enough he said uh, we, we had a discussion two years ago about transition that we build and bring play, players in these players have all been around for years if it's not working the way you're doing it you've got to change something 
I'm the last person for a manager to call out players, but you've got to do something about it because the first half is as poor as I've seen. Um, the first half was pathetic. Like, does he have a point? Does Stephen Kenny need to call out the players to any extent here, no. or is that just not? It's just not. It's not in his repertoire. He doesn't do that generally. No, and I don't think any manager really should. I mean, from I mean, what little I know about football, I learned from watching John Giles and RTE growing up. And one of Giles' many golden rules was: as soon as you see a manager criticize the players in public, it's done. <laughs> it's and in fairness, there. like Jose Mourinho is, <laughs> is uh, king of it. Is the is the most obvious example of that? No, the idea that the solution to Ireland's issues in that game was for Kenny to come out and lambast his players in the press is absolutely rubbish to be quite honest with yeah. you. He was, he was tempered in his criticism but the criticism was there and it was slightly firmer than it had been before. Basically, Ireland did not defend the goals well and it gave away cheap goals and you know, using the phrases like shot themselves in the foot. I think that's fine. I thought he spoke pretty well after the game. He struck that balance better in terms of you know, his, his analysis and his summation of the game. Was, uh, I, th- I thought he struck a tone, um, a better tone then than he, he had previously certainly after the Armenia game in September. Yeah. A few more comments coming in across the, the YouTube. Plenty of people uh, have opinions on this this morning, no doubt. Um, Norway have better players, says Danny. We have no quality. That's why Kenny got the job. It's not attractive anymore. Matthew Connor says, poor performance. Has you worried about France coming to town? Um, Mark says, that's the poor uh, display. is down to the players, not Kenny. Um, Steve says, we are basically where the Irish rugby team were in the 90s. Wooden spoon whipping boys. Uh, David says I go to the home games we need two players in central midfield who can take the ball and pass it up the pitch without that Kenny system does not work worried about times ahead clock ticking and then more people talking about these fixtures the World Cup fixtures coming up someone really sticking the boot in saying whatever about France and the Netherlands Greece are going to beat us 1-0 and we are going to draw with Gibraltar I don't think I don't think we'll, <laughs> I, I know it might be a hostage to fortune here I don't think we'll draw against Gibraltar the Greece game is a bit of a Dutch nightmare. Wood. The Greece game is a bit of a nightmare in the sense that they were the trickiest side Ireland could have got out of pot four as well. Like they're the real sleeper in this group of death. And that in many ways is the most important game because like um Ireland Ireland's performance in the group stages won't have a bearing on whether they get a, na- a Nations League playoff or not. It's everyone else's performance. Yes. But they have to be at the stage where they're they have to they have to be at a stage under the manager now where they're able to go and beat the sides that they're ranked above. One hundred percent. And the issue, like this is where the draw and even the fixture list is a nightmare for Ireland because they have to go away to Greece in June in the heat of Athens, which is going to be very difficult. And it's midway into June, so it'll be weeks after the championship season ends. Yeah. We saw how rusty the players were away to Armenia last year. So that's a difficult one. I mean, I, in many ways, that Greece game is kind of almost just almost the most important game in the group in a way because it's so unlikely that Ireland would split the... T- Ireland could acquit themselves very well in the group and just not split the top two just because of the level of individu- individual quality on their sides. Yeah. But in terms of looking forward to any potential playoff, it's the Greece game that's a, that's a very it's probably the best measure of how the side is improved. Listen to Alan Brown after the match and I keep talking about how Norway were just very compact, tough to break down. Mm. Strikes me like when when a player is saying that, what what you need in that situation is maybe substitutions, early substitutions, half time substitutions. Like the argument has been made that that Kenny maybe doesn't make the substitutions early enough. What was it, seventy five minutes before mm. anyone came off the bench last night? This is a friendly. Let's not forget mm. Malta to come on Sunday. There's plenty of opportunity here for people to get your opportunity, as you say. Will Smallbone is sitting there, ready, yeah. ready to go. Ferguson, you know. And even you're taking on players like maybe Hendrick and Brady who who you know you know what they can do. Yeah. So maybe take on the lads you don't know much about earlier. Still bring on your, your Brady and Hendrick to get their caps in. But it just struck me as substitution-wise too late almost. Yeah, it was very late. I mean, the team now is very much in its 
evolution phase rather than revolution. The revolution has happened in terms of um, numbers of players, blooded, etc. He pl- he picked a pretty settled team. You could argue pretty much eight of that team that started our first choice now. The three people who came in were O'Dowd at left wing back, Robinson up front and Brown in midfield. Yeah. They were the kind of there, the understudies ready to see what they had in the limelight kind of thing. As I mentioned, maybe Brown was, was the best of the three. Um, and then there was very little experimentation beyond that. Obviously, Ferguson came on for his debut on the 88th minute mark. I'm not sure he touched the ball. Um, hopefully, we'll be looking back at this game in years to come as Evan Ferguson's debut. Because exactly. It won't be remembered otherwise. Again, I would have liked to have seen Smallbone just to see what he could add. Like, I know there's an element of he wants, you know, this is this is the team and we want coherent, the team to further cohere and that mm. the more minutes they get together, the better. Um, but at some point in the second half, even in the first half, you're thinking Ireland are lacking so much in midfield here. Let's just see what Smallbone brings. Let's just, you know, give it a go. Give an answer to the question. I think. I would have liked to have seen that and I would have liked to have seen it earlier um, but evidently we're at the stage now where Kenny is like this is the group I have this is what we're going to run with yeah. for your 2024 qualifying Keep the comments coming in on uh, on the Republic of Ireland uh, your thoughts on last night were you at the match were you watching your thoughts on Stephen Kenny the team itself last night the performance um, so we'll, we'll return to that across the show of course and we'll have plenty of reaction from the players including the goal scorer Alan Brown all were speaking to, to Nathan last night here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock so uh, 8 o'clock we've got Ronan O'Gara joining the show so loads to delve into with him including the uh, the Babas himself and Scott Robertson of course taking charge of that Babas win last weekend over in New Zealand 15 Quinny then from 20 past 8 will of course be looking ahead to the Australia test tomorrow evening at the Viva Stadium, 8pm. Sports pages from 8.45, all the headlines from this morning. 8.55, Ryan McHugh will join us to reflect on the incredible Donegal career of his former teammate, uh, Michael Murphy, who of course has hung up his boots. Kevin Gaban uh, has joined myself and Adrian. We've had a chat with him yesterday, uh, so we'll play that out for you. And uh, you know, He's talking about Canada's chances at the World Cup. Of course, Kev working over there at the moment. And uh, we'll talk about Ronaldo's interview, uh, the two-part interview with Piers Morgan. And uh, plenty more reaction to the Republic of Ireland loss to Norway last night from half past nine as well this morning. Just want to touch on a couple of the, the back page headlines in the papers this morning. Uh, FA calls out FIFA over migrants. This is the sporting uh, headline on the Telegraph. Uh, failure to improve workers' rights and guitars challenged England invite group to their World Cup training complex. So this was an unsanctioned thing that the English team did with a group of uh, migrant workers. Had a, a training session with them, which was a lovely thing to see. Uh, and Erasmus's referee jibes land Twickenham ban. So Razi Erasmus, South Africa's director of rugby, banned from all involvement in his side's game against England at Twickenham next weekend. Uh, suspended by World Rugby for two matches following his... Twitter posts and rants uh, after all of these games. The Daily Express across the water too has Phil Good Factor. Foden has a real belief. Three Lions can lift the trophy. The English hype train has started in earnest ahead of the World Cup. Iran star hits out at campaign. Iran captain has hinted at a campaign to destabilise his side ahead of their World Cup opener against England. He suggested there's attempts to undermine the squad's mentality after he was asked how the anti-government protests back home affected the players in the build-up. Uh, Max Verstappen, F1 abuse, disgusting. He's uh, told the world of Formula 1 not to go after his family. He's described social media abuse following last weekend's Brazilian Grand Prix as unacceptable and disgusting. Uh, so, of course, he was criticised after his uh, refusal to allow his teammate Sergio Perez to overtake him at the uh, season-ending Brazilian... or Sorry, the second-last race, the Brazilian Grand Prix last weekend. Uh, Evan Sent, that is... In fact, not a headline from today, I'd imagine. That is yesterday's paper, so we'll ignore that one. Although it, it's still 
stands to reason Evan Ferguson on the back page and hopefully he can score against Malta on Sunday and break that record and become Ireland's youngest ever scorer the back page of the Herald Norway strike late to scupper Ireland Brown effort not enough to rescue Kenny's men it was a good strike from Alan Brown at least it was great it was just such a satisfying cut across the ball yeah um, and you know the ball sat up nicely for him the shouts were the shouts of shoot were I think the ball had just been cleared it was yeah. maybe still connecting with a, Nor- with a Norwegian head the fans just the wanted something it was just like yeah give us something yeah yeah so it was a lovely goal at least that was something to cheer, cheer about last night Farrell urges players to keep their heads for Aussie clash that's of course uh, Andy Farrell talking ahead of that match um, we'll do the back page of the mirror Al in vain Republic of Ireland 1 Norway 2 Brown's brilliant bullet mere consolation as Norway expose set piece frailty uh, Wales sweating on the fitness of Joe Allen uh, time running out for him to make Wales' World Cup opener and uh, terrible news for, for Senegal's Sadio Mane he has been ruled out of the World Cup so uh, injured playing for Bayern Munich earlier this month and he has failed to recover on time Senegal's record goal scorer X-ray on his injured knee yesterday that's that's a bit of a blow for Senegal but the sad and Sadio really doesn't it oh very good Gavin um, no it's uh, it's it's very uh, it's very upsetting for Senegal and Mane um, but good news for Qatar well, yeah, you were yeah. saying this. So, I, I, like, so that, that group is. What, ne- tell us about that. Netherlands, group. Senegal, Qatar, and Ecuador. So, so expect the Dutch to top that group. Yeah, and then if Senegal are very good, like if they had Mane, I thought that maybe they could match what they did in O two and go to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. Um, Progress. Now I'm not so sure. I think Qatar, Qatar will have benefited from effectively being a club site. Like I mean, the Qatari leagues shut down in September. They've been training away together, and they'll have a level of kind of cohesion that no other side will have. Yeah. You know? I mean, this has been cobbled together. Se- uh, you know, within seven days of the European season uh, going on pause. So I don't know. I think Qatar. I know we saw them in a friendly against Ireland 2021 where they were. They were that day. Truly useless. And uh, they also, that poor form continued on into this year. They, uh, as part of their preparations during the summer, they lost a behind door, uh, closed doors friendly to Linfield. Uh, lost 1 0. Mm. But. Um, Come back from that. Will they become the first side to lose to Linfield and then go to the World Cup last 16? Possibly. So a lot, they'd take that certainly as host to get progressed but beyond the uh, the group stage because that is a relatively tough group. But uh, with Mane being out, that uh, the back page of the Sun covers that story as well. Sad man, excuse me, covers uh, suffers KO. Bale still perfect. Gareth Bale getting into the swing of things. Uh, we'll come back to this as well. Ron's 10-day Cristiano Ronaldo blasting Ayrton Hag's excuses after unleashing another scathing attack on the Manchester United boss. So part two of that interview was aired last night, so we'll come back to that later on. Viking smashed her. Kenny fighting his corner after loss. And uh, I guess the back page of the Guardian as well. I mean, Gav, you're heading to Qatar. We're going to touch on this now. Uh, you're flying out tomorrow but mm-hmm. Beckham beams in with a message of tolerance Qatar ambassador's vision for hosts uh, England field training burn as they ponder taking a knee um, England dealing, trying to deal with the heat I think they're taking beetroot juice and turmeric and stuff to kind of cope with the uh, with the heat Colin Bubik our producer pointed this photo out this morning Phil Foden what looks very I guess communist Soviet Union-esque Russia Vibes with the granny's curtains furniture. Is there. that a tear in the curtain? It is a tear in the curtain, also <laughs> in the back. What appears to be a tear in the curtain. So you've got the the wall and the curtains and the the carpet and the. Oh, couches. and that must be the England Hotel. Of course. So that I mean, the tear in that curtain. That's a real bang of intro Symbolic. to intro to athletic long read on England's <laughs> disastrous World Cup. What in does Qatar. the tear mean? Yeah. Um, so, Gav, you're flying out to, to Qatar tomorrow. How are you feeling of the ahead of the trip? Are you? Yeah, Nervous, well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at videos of, of security guards um, force, uh, forcefully pushing away journalists and, and threatening to smash cameras. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, it's concerning you know, for journalists as well. I, I have to say, I am excited about it, I have to say. Um, I know 
It's um, it's certainly the most controversial World Cup since 1978, and, and rightly so. Mm. It's um, it's almost like a moral quandary for everyone for everyone who, who's either going or sitting down or sitting down to watch who isn't a blazer at FIFA. It would seem. I mean, yeah. they're the only ones who weren't assailed by their conscience over this. Uh, sorry, and David Beckham as well has obviously lost the won the war with his own conscience <laughs> over all of this as well. But no, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's look. I mean, there's a professional level of excitement there. It's the biggest story in the world, and to be at to be at it is a pretty amazing opportunity. There's the story as well that's kind of come out in the in the, the papers this morning as well. But Qatar wanting to ban Budweiser being sold in stadiums. So all along we've been told that Budweiser is the the beer that's being sold in grounds or whatever else. And just two days out from kickoff, so today, 48 hours of course from the Qatar Ecuador Ecuador game on Sunday. So in talks with FIFA, who are shocked by the late nature of this call apparently. Uh, FIFA already conceded to Qatar 2022 and making Budweiser stands less prominent in the stadiums um, this came at the insistence of the Thani Royal family in Qatar uh, alcohol of course will be sold at the Doha fan parks but there's talk that this is going to happen alcohol will be banned mm. from stadiums which is a, a mad late call I mean yeah. 48 hours out from the first game it's like the Qataris have just seen all the fans starting to arrive and they're like no let's pull the plug yeah um, not to <laughs> mean to the place is ruled by royal decrees so I mean generally what they want they'll get so I'd expect this to happen if it's being reported and if it's being weighed up but it's also consistent with some of the slightly chaotic preparation and the, the um, moving things on a whim we know that uh, for example they've for a tournament that was awarded 12 years ago uh, the start date was brought forward by a day which is which just over 100 days <laughs> out that was um, again so that meant FIFA had a load of sponsors activation launch around the world around 100 days to the World Cup oh, that was course. instantly out of date there was an extraordinary story reported by Tarek Panj of the New York Times back then that the Emir was on the Emir of Qatar was on his way to an official stadium opening and decided to rename the stadium and the car on the way to it um, I can't remember it might be the Al Janoub Stadium you couldn't write um, it yeah no and so you know people arrived and you know all the all the all all the signage and all the uh, branding and everything is done for the stadium, and it's just like, oh, by the way, we've we've renamed it on the way here. So, yeah, that's just a, another little insight into the into the country in which they're dealing with. But you know, some might say that FIFA might have had an idea that this was possible um, before they awarded it to Qatar, uh, unless, of course, maybe they didn't do their full due diligence, which is, mm. I mean, a possibility. Who could possibly accuse FIFA yeah. of not doing due diligence? Um, I mean. <sighs> It's a bit. You're staying in Doha, is it? So, what's the setup for journalists? Yeah. Like, is it just a case of all journalists are penned in one area together, or is it kind of fairly fluid? I don't. I, we're, I'm in a hotel, uh, in a hotel with the Irish Times, um, by 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 pure chance in Doha, <laughs> uh, and then it's uh, you know it's like. I suppose it's more like an Olympics in the sense that, look, I've never been to a World Cup before, but it's all in one place. Usually, like, you know, last year in Russia and then in Brazil. So these huge continental-sized countries, I'd imagine yeah. you spend most of the World Cup flying from one city to another. That obviously won't happen this time. You'll, you'll hop on a metro next line. Next time as well, for USA, um, Canada, Mexico. That's going to be a lot of flying. The metro line covers most things. So it seems like this is giant media centre um, that is an old converted airport from which is like everyone's central node and then they'll hop on shuttle buses out to out of the various stadia um, in terms of going off the beaten track for stories um, I'm not sure many people will be able to do that because I'm not sure if there's a if there's a non-beaten track if does that make yeah, sense it's like stay between the rope it's just you know the place is so small and it's uh, yeah. you know, there's so many stadiums and it's, it's, it's all kind of on that on that kind of quite defined circuit uh, so we'll have to we'll have to see how it goes so no I look I'm I'm su- I am I am super excited about it. I guess those stories will be <clears throat> around the teams. Like some teams, no doubt, will 
take political stances during matches or before games or whatever and we don't know what some of these things will look like could be as simple as wearing the rainbow laces or taking the knee as we're saying England could be planning to do so there's going to be little things but you'd imagine a couple of teams will have some serious stances and, mm. and have maybe discussed in their leadership groups to, to do something so maybe that the stories will be at the games yeah I mean quite possibly um, I'm not sure as to whether I'm not sure what is planned obviously there's the rainbow armband but that's quite a subtle protest really yeah. I'm not sure that will send too many ripples around the world obviously Australian pl- players spoke out ahead of the tournament I got the sense maybe that they spoke out because in the sense that that's their stance it was very admirable and very powerful and they should be praise for it and, and nothing else but uh, you get the sense that maybe that was them addressing the situation mm. ahead of the tournament will they continue to do so during it maybe they will I don't know but you know FIFA will ban what they see as political slogans yeah. so the Danish team tried to wear uh, t-shirts bearing the phrase human rights at training what a terrible and, thing and FIFA rejected it as political how dare like, they wear I mean, t-shirts saying human rights and like, but for FIFA to interpret that as a political slogan is kind of boils down the outlook um, which has resulted in sending the World Cup to Qatar was Grant Wall, the, the US journalist, I think, tweeting the other day, talking about even he was trying to take photos of a slogan or something in a public area. And in a media centre. Sh- um, in a media centre. Yeah. And it there was a, was a giant bland slogan on the wall of a media centre and according to this story, he took a picture of it and a security guard sidled over to say, no pictures and can you delete that please, sir? Which is like, you know, that's on the wall of the media centre, like that's where the, you know at the accreditation collection point. So literally every journalist, every international media figure going to the World Cup will pass through this room. So uh, they're just not used to this freedom of expression, probably possibly the, yeah, the security. Yeah, I think, over I think that's going to be the issue, and that's at the root of a lot of the uneasiness among people wondering whether to go or not. The gap between what's said by those organising the tournament and what's put out in FIFA press releases and what might actually be enforced on the mm. ground. How do you change? Uh, the years if not decades long um, practices uh, and principles and outlooks of those on the ground for the sake of for just you know at the flick of a switch as if to say you know hands out like this is going to be light touch yeah. for a month you know what games you're you're covering so I've got my I've got a list only some have been approved at the moment uh, I'm doing definitely doing England's three group games and I'm definitely doing France Denmark uh, mm. I can only assume that FIFA looked at my previous list of matches that'll be a great game and assumed I was Danish given I've done so many other games before <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it I'm down I've applied for loads of others as to whether because everyone is the same place obviously much easier to get to games yes. you're allowed to go to two a day um, so I just have to see as to whether I'll make the cut for uh, other games I'd, they, I was talking to someone a few, they reckon I should be grand for one game a day okay. but Spain-Germany I'll struggle for and oh, Brazil and Argentina games I might struggle for which would be, uh, be, nice to which would be them, super it? disappointing yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so you know I'll take uh, if FIFA are listening I'll take, I'll take uh, Argentina Saudi Arabia not a bother if anyone's listening just get Gav to an Argentina or Brazil <laughs> game please uh, yeah we'll return to that uh, later on in the show and of course uh, we'll be talking uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo interview part 2 came out last night uh, some Mal quotes from that again last night for United fans. Look away now, I think. Uh, now, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Whether you're travelling to work in the morning or training in the evening, Brayburn will give you the boost you need. Available at Apple Green locations nationwide. Each week, we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post, and you are in the draw. After the break, we're live with Ronan O'Gara. See you then. OTB. A.M. Minute past one on this Friday morning on O2B A.M. Brought to you by, uh, with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave. Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Delighted to say Ronan O'Gara joins us on the line this morning. Morning, Ronan. How are things? Morning. Hi, guys. How are you? Keeping well. Keeping well. Um, you, had a, you had a fascinating weekend last weekend with the Babas. Uh, looked like a lot of fun, I have to say, Ronan. 35 
points to 31 win over this New Zealand 15. Uh, looked like a bit of crack. Yeah, it was. It was a great week. Fantastic week. Um, just coming off, I suppose, the treadmill of a top 14, 10 weeks in a row, uh, grinding away. And then um, just kind of absorbed or by results, you know, and then you just see a complete different spirit of how the game can be played and it uh, probably poses more questions in your head. So it's good that this week is off as well. So we'll try and mix a little bit of the Baba spirit with, I suppose, the traditional structured approach to how the game um, is played. So, uh, yeah, this week has been a um, pretty reflective week in terms of how best to prepare for the next block of games coming up with um, Europe beginning, but also the top 14 continuing to go on as well. Ronan, it's a pretty minimal um, exposure to the Babas in, in terms of uh, you know one week during the international window. Do you take anything from that back into La Rochelle, or is there anything that you you can learn from that? Yeah, you could take loads. You know, I think it's it hits you hard sometimes in terms of you know maybe having too much of a straight jacket on guys and. I suppose the fundamental question I'm asking myself this week is that just how can you get players showing their natural instincts within a game plan, within a structure? Because you have to have a little bit of structure, obviously, and that's, I suppose, the golden question for me is how how do you let them play free and how do you let them play with, uh, I suppose, with some people they don't see it as quickly as other players and that's, I suppose, always how, you know, the great players, they seem that they have so much time on the ball. Um, so you know we kind of came up from scratch and literally three training sessions and you know we, we looked we looked pretty uh, pretty good with the ball so it just shows that it can can most definitely be done and sometimes I think we probably stagnate our players by probably over um, emphasising maybe uh, structure and detail and a robotic approach so for me it was fantastic in that regard because um I suppose, I suppose things now to look at going forward. I uh, saw a great clip on Twitter, Ronan, uh, uh, amongst the celebrations. Adele, someone like you, being blared out by, by yourself and the players. And I looked over to the left-hand side of the screen and who was blaring it out with the, the most the most heart? I think it was it was yourself. So you don't want to give us a few bars this morning, <laughs> no? <laughs> no? No, it was great because we obviously, the big part of the Babas, you do a lot of restaurants during the week, you know, so it'd be lunchtime or um our dinner time you know a few beers are allowed so we got that balance right early in the week we went hard and towards the end of the week that completely uh petered out so uh you know i think for creating harmony and cohesion among a group a sing song does it we had joe marler in the group and we had a lot of french guys so very very i suppose different cultures and different personalities but uh, what united us was uh, was song and um, you know I think uh, on the Thursday night we had um, or the Wednesday night or maybe even the Tuesday night I don't remember now there was uh, there was great just spontaneous singing because you know these things either happen naturally or they don't there's nothing worse or more cringy than a, than a four sing song so uh, it just happened and uh, I think by the end of the night uh, Adele was probably the one that everyone bought in most of us so it kind of became our team song for the week and then um, it was nice that um, uh, Joe Marler led that it was my first time uh, I suppose in an environment with him a pretty special character in the modern game and um, very 
I suppose, different to a lot of uh, your normal players that play nowadays, but uh, hugely interesting and um, a great person to get to know. Uh, like we had Will Greenwood on the show last week and he was looking forward to even being there and, and, and meeting up with yourselves uh, that partnership w- with Scott Robertson as well it must have been must have been great just for the two years to kind of swap ideas and bounce off each other from a, from a coaching point of view as well yeah exactly yeah because it goes a lot happens too kind of I suppose I left the Crusaders a few years ago now and I'm stuck in my world he's stuck in his world but we're still involved in rugby and it's very very simple uh, really uh, but the approaches can be very very different so it was important just to probably uh, check in with each other see how we're going what I need to get better at what he needs to get better at and uh, yeah it feels like I know him all my life really but I don't obviously uh, but there's a very natural relationship there and it's very easy for him to say harsh things to me uh, what I need to get better at and he obviously understands the European game a little bit better from been in constant contact with me so um, you know I think um, what is I suppose the takeaway point is that he has a a huge aura about him but a very positive aura and that goes straight into his environment and you know I think we have to remind ourselves we're very lucky that we we don't work we we coach we coach rugby and I'm very passionate about that and I, and I love doing that but sometimes you can be uh no matter how mentally strong you are, you can be, I suppose, ground down in the top 14. So the timer for me for pause was beautiful. So just recharge the batteries this week and attack next week. We've been hearing uh, for, for some time that England's next coach after the World Cup is going to, uh, preferably from their point of view, be an Englishman. But uh, Bill Sweeney's come out this week. You've probably seen the quotes saying uh, it has to be the best coach. So the RFU's preference no longer for an Englishman to succeed Eddie Jones necessarily as, as England coach. Yourself and Scott, that could be a nice pair in Ronan, surely? Yeah, it's it could be. It could not be either, you know. There's there's a, there's a lot to that. I think once you've kind of tasted being the head man, it's very, very, uh, probably um, um, your vision, you know. Very, even two people very aligned sometimes don't have the same vision so mm. you know what I mean essentially only but then again titles don't really interest me too much it's just a case of um, what role you'd like to do and what role Scott would like to do and, and, and how you'd share responsibilities potentially but uh, you know even before that it's it's it's, uh, it's a big mental leap for me to to uh, to decide upon I wouldn't uh straight out I wouldn't have given that the time uh, required at the, at the minute all I said at the minute is that you wouldn't rule yourself out of that job but if you were to commit to something like that I think I'd have to uh, sit down with my my family and uh, probably uh, work it out because you know I think um, I understand it's a professional game but I also understand where I'm from and, and what I represent so um, there's a few stages obviously before that becomes um, I suppose very hot 100% and like it was interesting even Brian O'Driscoll was on the show with with, uh, with Jerry this week and he's talking about you know that like, a lot of managers wanting to get into the international game of course the club game is brilliant and it's it's uh, exciting and you're playing week on week and then to get into the international game at some point is, is the dream for many like even uh, Johnny Sexton was asked about this week Ronan and, and, and he name dropped yourself as well he was asked if he was going to go into coaching himself whenever he decides to hang up the boots 
and he said straight away I don't think so uh, as a coach you need to go out you need to learn you need to travel my family is fairly settled in Dublin my kids love it here they've got their friends and family I'm not going to do something like Roger's done which is amazing go to France go to New Zealand come back to France stay in France he's been away from Ireland for 10 years I'm not going to do that Like it, it was interesting to hear him say that because you've gone out and cut your teeth uh, I guess homesickness comes into it a lot as well do you know, in, in order to get that experience abroad you have to leave home you don't have to do anything. That's the simple answer to it. I think you can you can create a position that I think stimulates you. And you mean Johnny would would fit definitely into that category because I think he's got an exceptional brain. And he thinks about the game very differently to a lot of people, so he doesn't necessarily have to go away. I just think that it's very uh, easy, I suppose, for people to observe and make general statements but someone like Johnny wouldn't fall into a general category he's very much an outlier in everything that he has done and will continue to do so you know I think he would be a big addition to any coaching group that's that that's no doubt about it he, he doesn't have to travel to do that he'd be you know I mean an on-field coach anyway in the last number of years without a shadow of doubt uh, especially in the position that he plays and the leadership that he brings in that position so you know I think you can see in sport you know what I mean? In the, in the Southern Hemisphere, there's uh, in a lot of the NRL clubs, and an awful lot of them are, are appointing leadership coach. Um, but do you want the leadership coach that has qualified through university, or do you want it that has qualified through experience, or a mixture of both? Because I think uh, you do need, obviously, the methodology, but also the structure behind you. But like Johnny, be a perfect example in that case that he just. Uh, has has so much wisdom that he probably hasn't enough time left in his life to get that out because he's uh, excelling uh, in the playing capacity. But it's very, very similar, really, in the fact that, yeah, he wouldn't have to play, but he can also uh, empower his players to play or to hopefully get near uh, where he played. And that would be a huge, I think, fascinating journey for him. But he'll decide that. I think he's right. I think the minute you start thinking of coaching, you lose it as a player. So... He'll have plenty of time for that. Mm, sorry, Ronan, just to, just to build on, on what you said there, it sounds like Johnny would Johnny be better served in almost like a technical capacity as a coach or it sounds that he might be quite an inspirational addition to, a, to any coaching ticket based off, based off what you said there? Yeah, the perception sometimes isn't the reality. I think, um, you know I mean, under, underneath, uh, you know, the dour competitive Johnny, there's a very sensitive Johnny, there's a very... Uh, funny Johnny um, and he has a, a wicked sense of humour you know I just think that he's when I suppose the public see him it's in a sporting domain but like you can't be on all the time there's plenty of times when he's off and he's he's a very very um, good company to be around so uh, yeah technically I think having spent so much time with Joe and uh, which Oh, should never be underappreciated. I think he has that, I suppose, detail in his game. Um, but we're also seeing under Andy, I suppose, the the capacity to get the best out of the human side of people. Um, so, you know what I mean? You combine the two of them along with John Rennie's natural ability and instincts as a person, uh, that's quite a, an impressive uh, potent of uh, forces. Strength, sorry, I'm mixing my French and my English words. <laughs> <laughs> You're so bilingual now, Ronan. It's it's comes just comes no, naturally. No, believe me, I'm not. I'm not. But when you're 10 years old, it begins to happen, you know, because I'm 
I'm thinking in French now as well as English. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Uh, Ronan, there was um, the sad news of, of uh, Jerry Holland's passing, talking about coaches and inspiring coaches uh, this week. And, and, of course, it was terrible for everyone in Irish rugby and in Munster and, and down in Cork Con as well. Uh, you've written a lovely piece in your Irish Examiner column as well, referencing Jerry Holland. You said, the quiet architect of special Munster days. I'd love to have told him in recent times how frequently I've leaned on his tutelage. It's, um, it's a very sad loss. Yeah, it is very, very sad, and I suppose a lot of, you mean the uh, Golf Claws group to Quinney's group to Paulie's group to uh, Peter Romani's group uh, would be very touched by Hall, a special man, and it's not just because he's passed away. We say that, you know. I think um, he made a man of a lot of boys, and I think um, he was very very fair with us and he, he showed us I suppose the hard and straight road and one thing I always remember was kind of uh, when you played in Mosgrave Park or Port Ward or Red and Munster irrespective of whether win or lose if you show up the public will respect you and I think that's something that will always stay you know I think you can't guarantee a result but you I think for, for Munster people showing up and giving your all was what meant a lot to the people and, and Hall instilled that in us I was um, I was actually reading back one of your older examiner columns last night from I think it was from from 2016 from March 2016. Uh, you had a great story um, if you, if you'll allow me for a second. So you, you're, course, you're, you're talking about once I arrived back to Munster pre-season with a bleached head of hair, I'd gone mad in Greece. Obviously, we were treated to a horrible fitness session on the track at the Mardike. Animal stuff, ten 400 meter runs, followed by ten more at 300 meters. We survived, and I anticipated a pat on the head from manager Jerry Holland or maybe Nilo Donovan, our forwards coach. Great session, Rod. You hung in there. Good to see that sort of thing. Uh, more fool me. Instead, Jerry stared at me. By the next session, have that hair gone. So uh, no, no messing around with Jerry Holland, Ronan. No, but it was just... Um, you know, like, I can only imagine what would happen. We probably, would, with the GPS nowadays and the recovery with performance coaches, you wouldn't be allowed to train for a month <laughs> if you did 10 400s, 10 300s. And it was a time I actually, uh, Tomas O'Leary was picked up off the, uh, off the, off the grass in the, uh, out by the farm by UCC because we didn't have GPS. We used to just run, basically run till you drop. And, um, but that was the era we were involved in. Holly, exactly, was kind of, I was feeling really good, finished the session, uh, Great, great, nice work. And Hall was just looking at this little upstart, going, "Look at the state of this guy." Um, <laughs> and he didn't have to say it right. He just said, uh, "Have that gone by Thursday night?" And, I, and of course, there wasn't. It wasn't a case of, "Will I chance it now and try and get another few days out of it?" First job done that afternoon was straight to the uh, hairdressers and get it shaved off. The uh, yeah, did you think the bleach hair was going to make you faster, or what was the thinking behind it? <laughs> No, you just think, I see it my 14-year-old now, you just think you're too too cool for school, isn't it? <laughs> it's a 60-year holiday job, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but your luck, you can try it again, maybe go back to it at some stage, for charity no, or something. No, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, or shaving, I don't have the right-shaped head either, I don't get a tanned enough to peanut to, to pull it off, you know, so... Fair enough. That's why I have the... the safe bet which is short back and sides into the side for the last 40 years <laughs> can't go wrong you can't go wrong with that one Roman to be fair uh, there, was a great, uh, there was a great photo you had up on your, your social media we're speaking of the, the Ireland-Australia game tomorrow night as well we have it up on screen here uh, congrats to Jack Crowley he dreamt of today for a very long time well done a lovely photograph of yourself years ago with, with a very young Jack I don't know what age maybe he's probably 10 or 11 there maybe um, 
like debut against Fiji last week. He's come a long way, Ronan, and uh, I know you, you try to bring him over maybe to, to La Rochelle at different points. He's a player you admire a lot. Yeah, I've probably been tracking him for a long time. It was Donald Lennon that introduced me to him a long time ago, and Donald, obviously, um, you know, he knows his cattle very well. Um, and I just remember from meeting him, for I think it was in the Clarion Hotel maybe four or five years ago, just the way the guy spoke, I, I understood he got it and he wanted it. They're probably two of the most important things in, in the number 10 role, and I think he, he knew uh, he'd have to... Uh, have resilience and I think already at a young age you'll go well he hasn't been tested but he has been tested I think now uh, his growth could be huge I think mentally he's done an awful lot of I'd say prep work to put himself uh, in certain situations like a game tomorrow night I, I think um, will will be will be good for him um, and his ceiling could be huge I think the combination of the experience of Johnny but also the the, probably the exuberance and uh, the young legs of, of uh, Jack Crowley could be very, very, uh, very, very nice combo for Ireland. Finally, Ronan, how do you, how do you see the game going? I guess Australia have, have a couple of uh, defeats, but I mean, you can never underestimate them and they'll probably love this idea of coming to Dublin and, and taking a scalp. It won't be all our own way, you'd imagine. No, it will not be. No, no, you look at... They were unlucky, only for a bit of pen or magic. They would have beaten France and that's in France and Stade de France. I think that game, which was... You know, quite a, a composed performance from Australia. Very well, very much controlled the game. And France, France were uh, in big trouble. But Peno does what Peno or Peno did what Peno does. You know, just a, a kind of one attacker against three defenders, and he somehow manages to score, which he's been doing for the last number of years. Um, but Australia, yeah, then they probably change up a lot, and um, obviously uh, Italy are shown better form than probably anticipated and, and they turn over Australia so um, you know their coaching group would be very impressive in Australia with Dave Rennie and, and um, Laurie Fisher and Laurie would have a lot of I suppose uh, ins on the Irish team and, and know know them very well from his time in Munster and what I suppose what makes Irish people tick so uh, the one thing about Australia is that they're technically they're very good so I think what they'll need to probably get right, they need to be disciplined to, uh, I suppose, to make to make a game. But if they can be disciplined, I think they probably have the rugby. Uh, but when Ireland put them, I suppose, uh, in a squeeze, can they can they handle that mentally, or will they opt out with penalties and penalties of field position, field positions of pressure and pressure? Usually, obviously, it didn't in the Fiji game result in points, but. In the South African game, a previous to that, it results in points. Ronan, great stuff as always. We'll uh, we'll have to get you back on again soon and get the uh, the Adele out of you, maybe if you're. But you have a bit of time <laughs> to practice between now and then. No chance. See you, lads. <laughs> great Thank stuff. You. Thanks, Ronan. Bye bye. Bye bye. Appreciate that. Uh, Twenty past eight on this uh, Friday morning here on OTB AM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Up next, Alan Quinlan is live in studio to preview Ireland's huge test against Australia tomorrow night in Dublin. First, though, here's Brian O'Driscoll telling us why he thinks Jimmy O'Brien is a future option at 10. Back after this. Do we have any Hugo Keenan substitute replacement backup? Is it Jimmy O'Brien? No. Is he is he now all of a sudden the guy that we have comfort with? I think he's a lovely, lovely footballer. Um, the one really interesting question I had a... Uh, a friend uh, texted me after the South African game and he said, you know, 
there's been so many heirs to the throne, but is Jimmy O'Brien the heir to the Johnny Sexton throne? You know, he played 10 for Newbridge in school. It feels like he could play anywhere across the back line because he's a footballer. He could play wing, full back, centre. We've seen, you'd have to imagine if you gave him a run of games at 10, he'd be incredibly proficient. Now, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know, is that something that would interest him in any shape or form? I don't know what whether he can goal kick or not, but that's just another added thought to inclusion within a World Cup squad, you know, uh, is there a chance that he could play 10 in one of the early World Cup games if if he really had to? Um, or if there was an injury to Sexton or to Carberry, could he fit in there? And if so, well, he, he's the perfect hybrid player that is going to get selected in the in uh, on this World Cup team uh, squad provided he stays fit and he continues in this kind of rich vein of form that he's in. Um, But yet, it's more challenging for him to actually get selected in the starting 15. 22 minutes past eight on this Friday morning's OTBM. Delighted to say Alan Quinlan has joined myself and Gavin in the studio. Morning, Quinny. Morning, lads. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Uh, It's been a a good week we were talking to to, to Ron there, but um, Johnny Sexton on the World Rugby Player of the Year nominees front. Uh, Always nice to get the individual lads and Josh van der Fleer and, and Johnny and Andy Farrell all getting some some credit from uh, from their fellow players. Nice to see. Yeah, it is. It's brilliant for them um, to be recognised and, and their achievements, I think, um, very special. We had it in uh, probably the last time it, it happened. We were in this situation. It was 2018 and when Joe Schmidt got coach of the year, um, Johnny got player of the year and, and, and the team got team of the year as well. So um, it is it is brilliant recognition for fantastic year they've had I suppose the the only blemish on that that run was uh, was in Paris um, against a brilliant French side they lost by six points um, I think there was a lot of good stuff came out of that game they were probably physically France had a little bit of an edge in them uh, up front but um, I suppose I said the only blemish obviously the first test in New Zealand but yeah. they won the series there so it's been it's been a very very positive year Um I could probably keep repeating this. I don't. I think the players are very conscious and the coaches as well of um, too much hype around it as well because mm. um, I suppose nobody predicted that they'd go to the World Cup and win it in 2019 or got too carried away, even though some accusations maybe from people on the outside that Ireland got complacent and stuff. But um, I think they'll be better equipped. Um, and you've got to deal with success in... I think if you're even telling any kids about winning trophies or winning awards that you try not to get complacent and don't get too far ahead of yourself. You still got to go to training next week and, mm. you know, um, and do the job. You know, you score four goals in one match and one Sunday morning and you think it's going to happen every week. That sport doesn't work like that. So these guys are playing at the top level, but it's lovely recognition for him. And I'm really pleased for Andy Farrell because um, I've huge respect for him. And obviously when you work in the media and you've got to analyse matches and talk about them, um, I'd find it very hard to say anything bad about Andy Farrell. <laughs> um, obviously, you've got to critique things um, and critique performances. And when you're in top jobs like that, it's part. It goes with the territory that your team has to be critiqued if they don't play well. And he got a bit of flack at the start, um, and Andy, um, Mike Cat as well did um, with some of the performances. Um, but taking over from Joe and you know going into that role as the head coach himself. Um, He's an inspirational fella, you know, and he's the kind of fellow who goes, well, if he, he just kind of takes it as, as he goes. And um, he's very much a here and now fellow who 
wants to try and enjoy the moment but um, you know having played a top level sport and the way he did um, you know probably one of the greatest rugby league players ever hard as nails and uh, he's he's just a very humble fella so I think it's great for him and it's great recognition for, for what he's done with this mm-hmm. Irish side and um, and also for Johnny Sexton you know to get a nomination again I think probably after that World Cup and maybe during that year people questioned him and, and a lot of people thought that you know the age factor was getting there and uh, and but his resurgence has been nothing short or remarkable really uh, for van der, Josh van der Fleer as well I think the improvements in his game um, the physicality the edge that he has the carries and the consistency has just gone to a different level mm-hmm. so you couldn't argue against their nominations and it's lovely for them and then for Dan Sheehan and Mac Hansen to be nominated as best newcomers as well so um, you know I don't think anybody's going to be getting carried away and saying uh, Ireland still have a, a very challenging situation and I think the one thing that we all want them to do is go beyond the World Cup a quarter final and um, so there's a lot of challenges ahead and, and when you're on top Shane everybody you know tries to knock you so what will Wales be thinking, you know, come uh, that first game in, in, in the start of February in the Six Nations? Um, you know, so I think Ireland will be better prepared mentally. But ultimately, no matter what they do between here and the World Cup in France next year, um, it's still going to be incredibly difficult to go beyond that quarter final. Yeah. So we may be sitting here thinking, God, we've we haven't gone beyond it again. So, but you know, I think it's it's the same in life. If you look too far ahead and and um, don't enjoy the moment, so I think they've got to enjoy the moment. And um, you know, do we need a reality check uh, before then? We probably get one or two anyway, um, and maybe we'll be in. in but we'll, if we're well equipped, but you know, to, the year they've had has been pretty special. I think um, I'll certainly not forget. You know, being up close and personal with what happened in New Zealand over the summer, it was it was remarkable. Is the experience before 2019, that World Cup, when obviously Ireland were top of the world after beating the All Blacks in 2018, is that the reality check they need? In the sense that will they? Yeah, can you see very, things that they learn from that? Because yeah. obviously Farrell was adjacent to that whole experience as well. Yeah, a lot of the players and some of the coaching staff as well. I think Paul O'Connell has come into the mix now. I think. Um, known Paul so as well as I do and been close to him in dress rooms for so long he has this incredible intrigue to leave no stone unturned and then he has his own presence you know the way he can inspire players I think um, he's made a lot of improvements and helped probably a lot of the Irish forwards They've a lot of them have publicly spoken about that um, so I think that whole experience is, is, is important so maybe we don't need to lose games in the Six Nations maybe we need to go and win a Grand Slam and you know we've got France and England and Dublin and historically these are the kind of Grand uh, uh, Six Nations that um, the two, the big two are coming to Dublin so it, it, you, you kind of think it puts you in a better position but um, you, you just never know I think obviously you want to try and build that resilience and I think they'll be. If you focus too much on your mistakes and your past mistakes in your life and in sport, they can kind of hold you back a little bit. You have to be aware and conscious of them. And I think, Gavin, they're going to be absolutely very, very conscious of them. But sometimes things, games and sport and things are out of your control. You can get a bit of bad luck. You can get some refereeing decisions go against you. You can get a couple of injuries. 
Ireland need a little bit of luck but, and if they can get to France next year in, in, in a good position because if you think of 2019 they had an incredible start they beat Scotland yeah. convincingly mm. um, so I thought they were kind of in a great great position and then what happened against Japan kind of derailed things and it kind of exposed some of the issues around probably the expansion of their game you know I think to be able to play a couple of different ways and to be to add to their attack was probably something that um, if they had their time back they would probably look to improve and, and, and have a different game plan in the locker but that probably is the reality check yeah yeah it's a funny one and and, and like you're trying to look ahead to the Six Nations but not get too carried away and not, not think too far beyond it but it's impossible yeah, and not look, to look. there's an argument to say Shane why are Ireland were number one when you look at the list of who France have beaten this year yeah they've beaten everyone um, you know to win a Grand Slam I think their tour is obviously different mm. in being in Japan over the summer um, and then you know t- to beat Australia to beat South Africa um, I think probably Ireland have it because of what they did in New Zealand those two tests when you kind of sometimes the, the, the point system you could argue is a bit is a little bit skewed but obviously if you beat New Zealand on, and I don't know how the point system works but if you beat New Zealand two weeks in a row in New Zealand I presume you it kind of enhances the points you get um, so like I genuinely don't think they think they're the best team in the world and that they would get complacent I think they realise they're we're probably two or three injuries away from being fourth or fifth in the world well, the Fiji game showed us yeah, but you know what? It's very difficult one, Shane, with the, the you know, they're, they're potential banana skins and they're hard to get the emotion right. And I think it does show, and I think what exposed us a little bit and was our reality check, as you asked for Gavin, asked about Gavin, was that New Zealand game in the RDS. You know, that was a big opportunity and we were we were second best in, that, in everything in that game. So if you go down the depth chart, maybe, you know, you know if you really go down the depth chart and get a couple of injuries and if you know you think if Johnny Sexton doesn't play no what do we do I think I feel bad for Joey Carberry because I would have been thinking get him through Fiji have a good win and start him against Australia Yeah, give him more exposure there we've just it's been so stop start with Joey in the last couple of years you really. know what Sexton can do but he hasn't got a run point. of 10 games in a row where you've gone God let's analyse those 10 yeah. games and say why well, 8 of them were brilliant um, and he's he's grown in the role and no matter what talent you have you've got to get out there and play and be exposed to it um, he's played in a Munster team that's been you know strong one week weak another week um, so we've just gotten, got no flow with Joey and I think he's a wonderful player and he's he's very much capable of, of mm. stepping up to the plate but we just unluckily again he picks up that head knock last week and, and is not involved this week so his next game could be two or three weeks for Munster and then you don't know what where where that's going to be um, how many games in a row he'll play but um, so yeah we are a couple of injuries away from things could be different so maybe that's me looking at the glass and being uber anxious about um, you know being being really conscious of threats and dangers you have to enjoy it and I think they're in a really good place I think all the players say that the camp is a very positive place um, and they're enjoying it so um, it's good at the moment, for sure. We we touched on this with Rog. Some uh, some interesting comments from from Johnny Sexton on his life post playing. Uh, I guess this week, and he was talking about. I think he was asked, "Will he go into coaching himself straight away?" And he was saying he, he doesn't think he'll go into it straight away. 
and he, he referenced Raj. And he said, you know, his family are settled in Dublin. His kids love it here. I'm not going to do something like Raj has done, which is amazing. Go to France, go to New Zealand, come back to France, stay in France. He's been away from Ireland for ten years. I'm not going to do that. Like, I guess he has options, Johnny. That's that's the thing, and we don't know what type of coach he's going to be if he wants to head that uh, down that direction. But there's no right or wrong way to go about it. Like Raj's Raj's recipe for getting into coaching is not necessarily. The only that's way. Not, that's not the template for yeah. everybody and it, it wouldn't work. Um, he's a very patient wife and Jess <laughs> and a very, uh, you know, for her to go on that adventure and kind of back him. And in fairness, she's incredible um, to, you know, with five kids as well. <laughs> not easy. You know, it's you just think of it, you know, five <laughs> kids going, moving around all the time and um, France is one thing but going off to New Zealand uh, on, on two stints where they've kind of gone for six or seven months come back to yeah. France and gone again yeah but um, it's interesting you think someone like I always said this about Drico that um, surely surely he'll get into coaching but <laughs> you just never know it depends what presents itself and you know when you have young kids that kind of dictates you can't just make this decision and and um, Obviously, Johnny's wife and and his kids will dictate what he does. But you would imagine the nat- the most natural transition for him is, you know, the Leinster setup. Mm. And there's no reason to say that he wouldn't be really successful in it. That he has to go and get this experience everywhere because he's that type of a character who's probably been. And I've said this about Paul O'Connell before. That these guys are coaching as players. Mm. They're literally kind of on it week after week about structures about you know the type of game you play the way you need to change things so they're they're practically coaches and assistant coaches for, for a lot of number of years of their careers anyway because they're all in those leadership roles so um, yeah I think obviously for you know what he's achieved and the type of character is you think there's no guarantees that he would be good as regards dealing with people yeah. and managing the ups and downs and um, some people say it would drive you cuckoo you know if you're so engrossed in it he's got to get a balance obviously when you come out as a player that sometimes you just got to if if that it's that emotional roller coaster that you can't affect the decision out on the field you can only pass on the information and try and prepare a team so um, you would have to imagine Johnny would be someone who would find it hard to let go because mm-hmm. And I and I hope he's not lost in a game because I would imagine he could be um, you know a very very successful coach. Is there a chance he's retiring too soon? God. I mean, you mentioned the, the shortlist there. I, I mm-hmm. you'll have a much greater insight to, than it to me. But to my amateur eye, he's still sensational. I mean, <laughs> I would imagine if he goes back to his wife and says, uh, "Well, I'm going to give it another year after next year," um, there could be a conversation about that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, like we can't be too far. Probably, from has he one more has year put the decision to go after the World Cup? Um, you know, like if, he could decide if, to keep if, going, but yeah, the, if next year. But I think there has to be a time. Look, I, I, I don't know. Of course, he could. If he's in good shape next year, well, maybe he'll go on for another year and play till he's forty or two years or whatever. I don't know. Um, but you think at that age that if he can get out of the game healthy, he's oh. he's played in a very uh, p- position that's um, he's been targeted a lot. He's had a, a fair few bangs and knocks over the years, and um, he loves the physicality of the game as well. And you know, I've always said this to 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 
you know, when you're out in that adrenaline rush and, and it's something that's just ingrained in you, um, it's very hard to let go of it. So Johnny's got to be comfortable himself and it would be wonderful, obviously, if they, if if he could finish after a World Cup on a high. And um, I know you still don't get a trophy if you get the semi-final, but <laughs> we're probably all worn out of being kind we of be- beaten with the stick of uh, the quarterfinals. But sometimes you could say, well, quarterfinal, semi-final, it doesn't matter. You're still not winning the trophy. But I think Ireland get judged on that. And, it's like um, Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile. Like we don't actually know if we can get to a semi-final until we do it. We, we haven't done it. Yeah. We need to just do it and get get it over the line yeah, once. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully we, we can do it. You're talking about the emotional roller coaster of being a uh, being a coach. I guess it's the same for a director of rugby, and it's emotional roller coaster watching Razi Rasmus's Twitter feed, constantly scrolling, and there's excuses after matches. The word dose comes to mind when you're looking at his Twitter feed, like a pretty unprecedented, a pretty unprecedented move by World Rugby to give him a two-match ban for his social media posts. But I don't think anyone is really complaining. Razi can't really complain either. It's you know what I I I the first line stuff so part of me thought this is refreshing and this mm. needs to be addressed um, also in the knowledge and, and being very conscious of the fact that you're dealing with human beings who are trying to do their best Yeah, and um, the one thing I see a lot of attached with the comments and stuff online about Rassi now is that there's these conspiracy theories that World Rugby are working against South Africa um, by some of the fans and you can go and see them yourselves um, it's quite frustrating to see that, and there's I, I you know I've I know a lot of South African people and a lot of good rugby South African people, and um, um, they're very knowledgeable on the game, and but there there's another element of them that actually are, are kind of blinded mm. a little bit by the effects of this. So you know, at the start, I thought it's yeah, definitely the line stuff was was born out of absolute frustration and um, but the reality is whether people agree with me or not is you can you could look at every game of rugby week after week in underage games club games schools games that a lot of the the, the, the kind of decisions that are made are with interpretations particularly around the breakdown you yeah. know did the guy lock onto the ball was he on his feet did, he, did his elbow touch the ground where did he come from? Did he come in from the side? There's so many kind of multi-layers of behaviours that it's very, very difficult at times. And a lot of the time, we've we've kind of gone with the... We just have to go with the decision that's um, of the referee, his interpretation at that time. Just look at scrums. You look at, an, at the international scrums at the weekend. Scrums will go down uh, two or three times and you'll... He referee will penalise one side you look at the replay and as a commentator and you go it's the actual opposition fella that lost his footing or pulled his elbow down so you could nearly go through uh, every rock situation or collision or physical situation where there's a number of players and pick people out it's a very very difficult job and I played at a high level where I had that frustration as a player and that sometimes I kind of questioned referees and I questioned decisions particularly if I was involved in that breakdown so it's a very difficult thing and I understand the frustration and there's certain games over the years and you could pick lots of games out for me as a former Munster player and as a former Irish player 
and, and covering a lot of Irish games, Munster games and Irish province in the last number of years, I'm often commentating games I'm going, my God, that's a blatant, that should be the other way, you know. Um, so there was a couple of decisions last week in, for Wayne Barnes that um, the possible double movement, it, it's very, very marginal. Again, if it's given as a double movement, you're saying, fair enough. The try is given, you're kind of going, Poss- yeah, it's probably 50-50. Isn't that incredibly hard when you mm. think of, there's actually decision, you're doing the football, you're going to Qatar. It's very rare, bar the VAR decisions, that there'll be 50-50 decisions. It's either a tackle, mm. a yellow card mm. or not, or a player is there to bundle another player over. It's much more, it's probably easier to decide on the decision. Of course, there's decisions in football that you're going to go, and particularly around the VAR stuff, mm. that it's so marginal that the goal could be given or could be taken away. But there's a lot of that in the rugby, and it's difficult. And I just don't, I just think Rassi, it was probably unnecessary the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um come back into the game um, what happened with the lines the videos last year and stuff just come back with a clean slate and, and put that behind us and because there's a real kind of um, quirky madness about Rousey Rasmus <laughs> that attracts me to obviously what he's done with, with, with South Africa when you think Shane we beat them 38-3 in 2017 they were in turmoil they take over mm-hmm. Jack Neenenbarn himself and you know, all the challenges that the South African people have, the crime rate there, the, you know, the, the so many difficulties that they have to experience throughout their life. So it was a wonderful story, them going to the World Cup, winning it. Um, they've had brilliant success, but, you know, if you're coming out in every game and you're, you're, you're this week, Rassi said he wasn't actually referencing the referee, but like. I mean, he was. You know, <laughs> he appeared to be the problem here you have with social media and it's the same for young people and people in sport and when you go in after a match and you pick up your phone and you look at it and people can judge you um, unfairly negatively yeah. they don't know the person so the problem for Wayne Barnes after last week and the reality is that anybody doesn't know that he's 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 receiving death threats Yeah, um, his wife is receiving abuse online so when it gets to that situation, mm. whether Rassi is right or wrong, he's part of something that's brought on an incredible mm. amount of abuse to somebody who I believe has a lot of integrity, Wayne Barnes. And Leinster fans could argue and say, well, one or two decisions in that La Rochelle final should have gone the other way. But if you look back at the Leinster-La Rochelle game, you could look at some stuff in the first half or certain areas in the game that Leinster should have been penalised. Yeah, And that's my point. You know, Ireland lost to Japan in the World Cup in 2019 and that game I know for a fact that there was 15 to 20 decisions that could have went the other way for yeah. Ireland in that game and they were acknowledged behind the scenes through the proper protocols um, with Angus Gardner's But that's the important that thing that there is a forum behind closed doors like if a coach is uh, frustrated at a refereeing decision they have a way of raising it like they yeah, don't so, have to go but, but public Gavin, some like of the Erasmus fans online now and in fairness it's great to see all the social media activity and you know r- rugby's trying to grow as a sport and it'll always be way behind you know football which is a real global sport Um and it's great to see people involved in it and having their opinions. But some of some of the opinions are nasty. A lot of them can be nasty, blinded. And they, their argument is, we need to know why these referees aren't accountable. Um, 
but they are held accountable mm. um, but they're not put out in the public square and uh, you know hanged on a Friday afternoon like in front of everybody for, for the, cr- the baying crowd to throw yeah. stones at them we can't have that but they are you know punished internally i.e. they don't get certain games they've got to be demoted um, if they have a really bad game there's a certain part of me once would love a little bit more honesty and, and maybe, but if we open that door of a referee being interviewed after a game and or, or you know, speaking during the week about it, it it's it's risky. Um, it's very, very dangerous because the baying mob will stone them. But um, I just think it's when, when, when Wayne Barnes and his wife have been subject to online abuse like that and threatened and... Some of it has been really, really nasty. People can see that. And whether Razzie, this week or not, in his own opinion, believes that he was aiming digs at Wayne Barnes, his social media stuff has caused that situation. So it's a pity because um, he's actually, you know, we're talking about Razzie Rasmus video clips now, not Razzie Rasmus incredible achievements. So is that part of the point? I mean, the results haven't been great on South Africa. Listen, if I was, uh, I'm talking about Ireland there a second ago. If I was in South Africa's position, I would be very, very comfortable okay. where they're at. They have incredible depth. Um, obviously, their A team were beaten by Munster down in Cork, um, but I think they, you know, if they lose four or five players, they can. I know the 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 quality. We don't know sometimes would be the exact same. But there's you're handpicking some forwards and props and hookers and things, and you're kind of, Jesus, that is that's strength, that's power, that's get them up to speed with the systems and all that kind of stuff, and they're in a really good place. But such a big pool of players to pick from, the European based players, players in, in um in Japan, they could pick a whole different squad. Mm. So there's a huge amount of depth. They're in a good place with what they've done. And I think Rassi Erasmus and, and Jack Nienenberg obviously winning that World Cup and, and where they're at at the moment they're in a really strong position Before we let you go Gwenny score prediction for, for tomorrow the first uh, time I'm the not sure about score prediction I think I, I would think it'd be a high scoring game right. if, if the weather um, there's a bit of rain predicted and it's heavy rain on yeah, Saturday yeah. night so for anyone going to the Aviva put on a, a coat um, I just feel that um, Ireland will be pretty conscious you're talking you're talking about a kind of wake up call there'll be a reaction from Australia. Yeah. And they're a very, very skillful, dangerous side if they're allowed to play. So I think Ireland have got to be impose themselves a little bit physically. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to, interested and hoping that Stuart McCloskey can, you know, it didn't happen for him last week against mm. Fiji, but it didn't happen for the rest of the squad no. that he can uh, get a real opportunity. Um, it's an exciting game because I think they're too... Ireland won't want it wet either. Um but it's, but I think Ireland will be, you know, rather uh, given a score prediction. I think you would think on paper Ireland are eight to ten points victors here. But we take it. It's a dangerous one, mm-hmm. and Australia have shown that when they get going, they scored incredible tries in the Tri Nation. Yeah. So we've got to be wary of that. But I think Ireland will win the game. Lovely. Uh, should be a decent atmosphere as well with the, the APM kickoff. And good luck in Qatar. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I think it. I might need it. <laughs> Five star hotel stadiums there. The it's phenomenal. I was looking at some of the videos the other day. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it goes. Hopefully it goes well. I'd like to see. I'd like to see Brazil win it. I think. Mm. Yeah.
who, who, who do you think is going to win it, Connie? Well, I go on holidays in Portugal every year, so I, I love the Portuguese people. So, right, right. But there's, you have to go with them. There's three United players there. Isn't <laughs> that, that, that kind of wavers. Strong Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool fan. But yeah, yeah. France... Ah, you've got Jota as well. France, yeah, we got Jota, of course. France, Brazil or Portugal. Fair France. One of the three. You're, so you're firmly sitting on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but they're three. No, no. If I was to be fair. Three teams, and if you... Pin me to it, I'd say Portugal. Okay, okay, we're going with Portugal. I Good want stuff. to win. I'm not saying they will. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Quiddy, great stuff as always. Thanks, Cheers, thanks for coming sense. in. Much appreciated. 8.49 a.m. on this Friday morning's OTBM. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across the rest of the day from 10.15 a.m. The crappy quiz is live. One o'clock, OTB Gold. Joe meeting Ruby Walsh. From 3 p.m., it's the Donegal Mounting Rushmore. Uh, Mount Rushmore, very fitting for the week that's in it with Michael Murphy hanging up the boots. Uh, 4 p.m., Team 33's League of Ireland legend Liam Coyle. From 6pm it's OTB Gold, an Irish football special with Given Quinn McAteer, uh, all with Kilban. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the very best in the latest sports content. We'll be back after this outbreak with the sports pages. First though, our own Nathan Murphy spoke with Stewie Byrne at the Aviva Stadium last night after the match to discuss what went wrong for Stephen Kenny's side against the Norwegians. Back after this. Why are Ireland conceding so many goals uh, so often from positions where they should do better? Um, is that is that working the training ground? No, I think I think that I think that should be a reminder to the team that you just don't concede sloppy goals. Like you know, there should always be a voice or voices in those situations roaring out, no no easy 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 free kicks, no easy headers, that kind of stuff. Uh, it was John Egan for the first goal who lost Ostergaard. Now he's never he, he, John has been so good for us. He's the captain. You wouldn't associate normally with that. I think he's, that's a goal that he's just going to put his hand up and saying, "I got, I got done," you know. But unfortunately, not just he's he, he's not the only one that's gotten done. I thought we were poor for the second goal as well, um, and it's it's it's. I suppose it, it, it's it's the balance of the team is still in flux a little bit, you know, whereby we're trying to expand on our possession-based game. We're trying to be a little bit more creative, be a little bit more dynamic dynamic be a little bit more attacking and the result of that is that we're taking our eye a little bit off the ball when it comes to um, the, basics. Our, our, the basics yeah the basics and you only have to look at this game and the Armenian game and you realise the two the four goals we've conceded in the four games were goals we never conceded before OTB AM 8.52am on Friday mornings OTB AM with myself and Gavin Cooney live in studio Gavin we should touch before we move on on the Cristiano Ronaldo part 2 drama with, with Piers Morgan um, some interesting comments from, from the second part he's talking about an offer that came from Saudi Arabia massive multi-million 300 million 300, more than that uh, from Saudi Arabia to go and play there uh, calling the press garbage once again um, talking about the, the criticism that he gets in the press he says his mood is on the, the World Cup now he doesn't know what the situation is with United when Sorry, he comes for back for a man to feel like he's getting criticism from the press in this the most sycophantic interview I'd say interview it wasn't really an interview yes Piers Morgan sat opposite Ronaldo and just aggressively agreed <laughs> with everything he said yeah oh, it was ridiculous there was actually a clip I don't know if we have the, the clip uh, we'll bring it to you in a minute but um, there was a clip where, he, where he's kind of it, it's the most cringy uh 
24 seconds you'll ever hear on on, on live television with uh, with Piers Morgan. But well, is it, it as bad as Piers Morgan's pinned tweet? Have you seen this? I haven't seen this. People, like, I mean, people will wonder how did Piers Morgan get this exclusive interview with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo? It's a years long ploy of sycophancy. Yeah. Uh, the, the pinned tweet is them comparing abs. <laughs> oh no! At some point, I don't know. I haven't uh, watched. I haven't watched. Previous. Yeah, this is when he was at Juventus. But yeah, apparently Ronaldo said something about, and he did it. You know why Ronaldo did it? it was just like to get praise for his own abs. It's just like you know you're in good shape, Piers. Oh, it's just like nothing like you, Cristiano. There was the start of the interview even on, on Wednesday night, the, the part one where he was like, Piers first asks him, you know, why did you decide to do this interview now? And he said, well, first because I really like you, Piers. And then Peter responds, well, I really like you too. Mm. It was just like, oh, lads, get a room. I mean, come on. You're supposed to be an interview here. We can actually listen to that uh, section of the interview. This is from, uh, from last night's part two. More pounds in the bank or more Instagram followers? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> Probably similar. I don't know. <laughs> Probably similar. Uh, I'm just trying to work out how Wayne Rooney could hate you even more, and probably that's the answer. Well, uh, <laughs> not only him. Imagine the rest of the rats. They're going to criticize you too. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. The rest of the rats. Is he calling Wayne Rooney a rat? There. He must be. Now, in fairness, like in terms of the answer to the question, Instagram followers or money in the bank. I'd have pretty similar answer, although <laughs> we're dealing with slightly smaller figures. Like, I mean, uh, that's quite a grim interview altogether, I have to say. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, Ronaldo's now kind of walled off in his own ego. And he's, he's just in his inability to take criticism is absolutely extraordinary. They're rats because they've been dared to criticise him. Yeah. And by criticise, I mean accurately report what they're seeing on, on the pitch. And so you will job. notice that the people that he's he says he still has respect for Roy Keane and Rio Ferdinand who the best players I played with but also the ex-players who continue to support him publicly in the media yeah no Re- coincidence there yeah like I mean oh. there was even one moment and Piers Morgan of course we all know is, a, is an Arsenal fan staunch Arsenal fan and um, he was asked last night about Arsenal and uh, Ronaldo says oh, I really like Arsenal I really like their coach um, and Piers then goes Do you, would you like to see them win the league and he says I would I really like you know, obviously not. Come and get me, play for if not, Yeah, Ronaldo. essentially, he was like, if not Manchester United to win the league, I'd like to see Arsenal win it. Do you know, I really like the team, blah, blah, blah. United fans are really sitting there going, you don't be starting to praise Arsenal. Yeah. United Arsenal rivalry has been going for years. You don't, as a current United player, praise Arsenal in any way. Come back when you're a pundit in five years' time and say what you like about them. You really yeah. like the coach. But, but it's, it's, it's almost as if Ronaldo would put his own self interest above. Yeah, interest of Manchester United. And he's cozying up to Piers by saying that as well. Yeah, I want to get the interview interviewer. Great line. I don't know. Did you listen to the stand with Eamon Dunphy this week? Liam Brady had a great line that he has two main regrets from his career. One of which was a failure to play with Ireland in a major tournament, and the second is the fact that Piers Morgan is an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, like when you're lumped in with with Piers Morgan as the, probably the most famous, one of the most famous Arsenal fans. You're like, oh Jesus, you don't want to hear that. Yeah. He, he was even asking Ronaldo about the. Um, he was asked about the. Uh, refusal to come on in the last few minutes against uh, against Tottenham mm. and he said uh, for example in the national team if the coach wants to give me five minutes because someone is injured or if they really needed me then I will help but in that way against Spurs I felt provoked the empathy doesn't exist I mean so you felt provoked sorry the idea that he was going to be brought on for the last few minutes is nope. being provoked he almost felt like Ten Hag was Nonsense. you know getting at him by bringing him on for the last few minutes and do you think he was do we think that Ten Hag because I, I feel like Ten Hag was handed a very difficult political challenge here with Ronaldo and I feel he may have played it very well Yeah. do we think that he knows that he Ronaldo must be saying this if he, if he believes it so maybe Ten Hag has played this you know he's just like he's I, I, I will provoke Ronaldo by bringing him on and then <laughs> in the hope that he might do exactly as I want him to do and walk down the tunnel which he then did um, 
I just think Eric Ten Hag, you know, no Manchester, United, no the manager's position hasn't been a very strong one at Manchester United for some time mm. because of the dysfunction everywhere. I think Ten Hag has more is in a stronger position as a United manager, the strongest yeah. in terms of support outside the club and within it, uh, the most powerful in that position since Ferguson. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. It's ironic, like, I mean, United constantly harken back to the idea of Alex Ferguson. Signing Ronaldo is harking back to the year of Alex Ferguson. Yes. When they forgot the one rule worth remembering from Alex Ferguson is to make the manager the most important person at the club. And ironically, I think it might have all happened kind of accidentally, but I think that's the position in which they finally ended up. Yeah, I think Cristiano Ronaldo just can't deal with the fact that he's maybe not at the level that he, that he once was. Oh, completely. I mean, the whole interview is just this guy trying to come to terms with the fact that his body can't do yeah. what it used to do. So it's kind of it's kind of sad in that respect. And it's also it's also interesting in terms of a study of fame, really. There's, there's, there's American writer Ben Lerner has a great line that if fame doesn't change you, it changes the people around you. Mm. I think this is probably proof of that because he just he obviously has just yes men around him who do nothing but but praise him and then any any kind of criticism or any, you know, criticism slash um like obvious analysis and yeah. fair-minded analysis punctures through as almost kind of heresy in his world. Bizarre. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens uh, beyond the World Cup, as, as Cristiano Ronaldo says and Bruno Fernandes says. Their focus is fully on Portugal, so it'll be interesting to see when when Old Trafford returns. What happens there? Uh, approaching a minute to nine on this Friday morning's OTB. I'm delighted to say Dolly Gold's Ryan McHugh joins us on the line this morning. Morning, Ryan. How are things? I'm very good, lads. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Um, a big day, a red letter day for, for Donegal yesterday. A sad day with with, uh, with Michael Murphy finally hanging up his boots uh, at the age of 33, what, 15 or 16 years service with the county. I think you've described him online as, as you know the greatest player you've seen in a Donegal jersey. Quite a big moment. Yeah, you know, um, it, it is sad, you know, but I think um, over the last, I suppose, number of, 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 of hours, you know, and, and days, I suppose, looking back on highlights and of his career and stuff, you know, just what what a player he was, you know, um, and I think not just what a player for for the people that that knew him knew him very closely, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and got to work with him very closely, you know, what a person, you know, he he's led our county for since two thousand eleven, you know, I think he made his debut in two thousand seven, but when when he was named captain by Jim McGuinness in two thousand eleven, how he led his his county to to the heights that that we got to this phenomenal, you know, so, so uh, yeah, it, it's a sad day and, and we, we miss him hugely, but just looking back on his career, you know, what, what a career he had. I mean, we were talking yesterday, myself and Jerry, about the fact that I think Donegal had five Ulster titles and one All-Ireland before Murphy started playing and another five Ulsters and another one All-Ireland uh, during his career. So, I mean, it's no coincidence, he was just a powerhouse. He was, you know, I think, it, 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 as you touched on a wee bit there, it, it is no coincidence that you know, it, it wasn't just Michael, but Michael was such a huge, huge part of, of, of you know, I suppose from that time, 2011 onwards, of, of what Donegal achieved. It was Michael who was leading the whole thing, you know, and, and, and to do it at such a young age, you know, he, he was only 21 at that time as well. I think people, a lot of people forget about that. He, he was only 21 when he was named captain of Donegal. I think that's extremely unique. And, and to keep it to the day that he retired is is phenomenal, you know, but just, just the way he led um, you know, go, going to training every single night. You, you were the he was the player that that you locked up to every single player, no matter if you were the oldest player in the squad or the youngest player in the squad. He was always the player that you locked up to. You know, I know from my own point of view when I came into the dressing room first in 2013, had so many role models. Uh, you know, from from watching Donegal and growing up, uh, going to all the games, had so many role models and and, and get to play alongside them and train alongside them. But 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 as I got into it, he was definitely the one man that. 
I would have learned so much off. You know, I always would have learned so much off from, from being a wing back off Caradesi, frankly, and these boys. But Michael was, was the one that I always tried to copy, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, just the way he lived his life. It, it, it was so professional. He lived his life to the letter of the law to give himself the best chance to play the best he could for his county, whether that was going to train on Tuesday or Thursday night or that was in a, in a championship match at the weekend. You know, he, he gave himself the best opportunity and I think the way he played showed that. What was he like in the dressing room, Ryan? I mean, it, it, we, we know he was a leader from from a young age in, the, in that in that dressing room, and you know he becomes captain in twenty eleven. You know, leads him to the, to the All Ireland the following year. Uh, like, was he someone who said said few words in the dressing room, as you say, led by example, or what, what were the the general lessons you learned from him? I think he, I think he got the mixture right. He spoke when he needed to speak, you know, and and, and he led by by playing when he you know. I think, I think you know, and a lot of players will, will understand. There's a big saying in all sports, but you are what you train, you know. And Michael Murphy was the hardest trainer in, in Donegal every single night, you know. And, and I think that was what what separated him from from every other, not just Donegal players, but all. But I, I can only speak for Donegal players, you know. But I think that's what separated him. He, he played or he trained, I should say, sorry, as if he was playing the Laird and final that day every single night of training. You know, and and I think that's how he brought so many so many of us with him that the other, other Donegal players, you know. Um, in terms of sitting in the dressing room, he's just a great lad, you know. Everyone got on the best of him. I think, you know, he he loved best friends and we're all best friends him for life, you know. And but he, but he did lay down the law when he needed it, you know, when he'd get on to players or or if there was any problems, you know, it was Michael that you went in and Michael would obviously re- relay it back to the management team, you know. So um but I think that, that Michael's biggest strength is I would, I would always go back to that and what what his biggest strength was was just the way he trained every single night of the week and, and not and again I go back to the other one, not just on the training pitch, how he lived his life. You know, I, I heard a, a saying a couple of years ago, it, it was a, a, an S&C coach of ours, Aaron Kyle's always said, he said, it's not about the two hours that you train, it's the other 22 hours of the day, what you do. And Michael loved them other 22 hours of the day so professionally, and that gave him the best chance to train, which obviously gave him the best chance to play at the weekend. Ryan, you mentioned that he wasn't afraid to lay down the law. Were you ever on the receiving end of it? <laughs> yeah, I've been a couple of times, you know. Um, not just simple things, you know, not, not, not anything major, but... You know, if, if if he had to call you out, he he definitely he wasn't shy in calling you out. You know, as as all players are, and I can imagine every other teams are. You know, he he was our captain, so he was he's our leader. I think there's not many other teams that that can say that they probably had the same captain from from 2011. You know, since the first day I came in in 2013, I've had the same captain since. It's going to be a strange year next year when, whenever the captains. Uh, announced in the Donegal squad who's going to be, you know, but it, 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 I've, I've had the same captain. And, and I think every single player in Donegal wouldn't have had it any other way because we knew Michael was our leader. He was, our, he was our, the man we went to, as I said, when, when times got tough, he was the man we looked at. And, and he always stood up. So he did, you know, he never shied away from it. Probably wasn't easy at times, you know, but he never, never shied away from it, you know. It, even Eamon McGee writing yesterday, Ryan, in the paper, and he's, again, someone who knows him very well, and he said he never saw it coming. Um, and and the, even in his own statement, he talked about, you know, uh, speaking, I guess, in the dressing room after the defeat to Armagh in Clonus last year. Um, and he said, the last time we sat together in the changing rooms in Clonus, I told my teammates that whatever happened in the future, Donegal will always go on. don't know if there was a hint in that, maybe, at what, what, he, what his thinking was. But were you surprised at, at the announcement? Like, did, it, did you see it coming? It was a wee bit shocked, I suppose, when, when, when it announced, right, Michael give us a ring, a lot of the boys a ring just to tell us all beforehand, you know, so I got chatting to him, so uh, yeah, disappointed and, and a wee bit shocked, you know, um, everyone thought Michael Murphy was going to go on forever, you know, as, as unfortunately all, all good things do have to come to an end, but yeah, I suppose going back to the, our my game at the end, he, he, as, as always, when, when on, on losing 
day and going out of the championship. You know, the, the captain of the team always speaks and, and he touched on that there will be a Donegal team going out. But definitely at that time, I thought that Michael Murphy would be playing full forward first next year, you know. But uh, it was a huge shock. So it was, um, again, not not something that I've seen coming when, when, when I was chatting to him um, all, all throughout, you know, the last number of months during the club championship stuff. Definitely thought that, that he was going to be playing. But as I said, good all good things have to come to an end. And, and as, I've really, really enjoyed, you know, over the last number of, of hours and, and days, I suppose, when, since he has announced it, just looking back in his career. Just, th- there is stuff at the start of a career that, you know, I was probably that wee bit younger that you would not remember and stuff like that. But looking back in it, just w- w- what a career he had. I think there's there's not much he hasn't won. You know, he's won the Ireland, he's won Ulsters, he's won All-Stars, he's won club championships. I think I've seen, unfortunately, Kilkiar. Point of view, we were on the receiving end one, but I think he's played in three county championships and Kilkiar finals and he's been... The, or Glenn Swally should say have won three county championships in Donegal and he's been a man of the match in every one of them you know so what he's given to his county and, and his club is, is nothing short of phenomenal It's mad like you, you just think of the, the success he's had and, and such a leader as well in the moments as you say that have kind of cropped up on social media in the last number of days like there's the goal in that 2012 Fall Ireland final against Mayo there was the uh, keeping the ball in, you know in the, at the sideline for the uh, Kevin Cassidy point against Kildare in 2014 there was a lovely one for DCU as well in the Sigerson where he kind of dummy solos over Rory O'Carroll's head and dinks it over with the outside of his right foot. Like so many unbelievable moments. Like anything that that stands out to you particularly as kind of the highlights of of his career. I suppose from from a Donegal point of view, it, it would probably be the, the 2012 um, Ireland final against Mayo. You know, um, remember going up to the up up to watch that game. Um, phenomenal, you know, just a phenomenal performance. You know, to to, to get off to that and 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 by getting to know the. The, the boys and, and getting to know Michael over the, the next number of years, you know, how many times they actually practiced that in training and worked on that in training and for it to come off on, on the biggest day and, and, and in our calendar, you know, um, I suppose that, that would definitely be the biggest one. But the amount of moments and, and great moments that Michael has given to people at Donegal, you know, it's, it's just nothing short of phenomenal. As I said, you know, every single year when the goal went tough, it, it was always Michael that, that, that stood up for us and, and we always rode in behind him. But I think from a Donegal point of view, it would definitely be the, the 2012, the, the goal, and, and, and to see him go up the steps in, in Crow Park to, to left Sam Maguire was something special. It was funny, like I, we were talking on the show yesterday about, um, you know, even what he's like off the pitch, Ryan, like, uh, you know, the fact that he sponsors, has sponsored the Donegal Senior Championship, you know, since his mid-twenties. There was the great mm-hmm. story from, from Gordon Manning in the Irish Times yesterday where um, he was named man of the match for Donegal in the win over Tyrone in late of May last year. Um, finishes his interview with TG Carr and walks towards the cameraman Brendan O'Donnell and everyone yeah. will, in Donegal will be familiar with Brendan's brother Michael Jack O'Donnell who, who had uh, a well-known Donegal photographer who had passed away at the start of that month um, yeah. and Michael had obviously got to know him over the years Michael Murphy and, and walks towards Brendan his brother and hands him his Man of the Match award and says it's it's for his brother like it's just little moments like that I'm sure that, that stand out and kind of speak volumes as to Michael Murphy the person yeah, no, exactly. You know, as, as I said, he, he is a he is a phenomenal player and a phenomenal leader, and, and everything to do with Donny with Donegal GA, he's led the whole thing. But off the field, you couldn't meet a nicer person. So you couldn't a more genuine person. You know, um, as you said, simple wee things like that just separates him. I think from from other people. You know, um, Michael Jack would have been at every single Donegal game. He would have been at the few training sessions, even coming up to games, uh, working for the the numerous papers and stuff, taking pictures um, and just simple things like that, you know, to, that a lot of people wouldn't think of that Michael definitely thinks of to, that this separates him, as I said, from from other people. And, and there's, there's numerous stories like that off the top of the head. I can't, I can't think of one, but there is numerous stories like that, you know, different things after games. Obviously, Michael was always 
the biggest profile in Donegal and, and Michael could be standing for hours after games taking pictures with with young supporters and, and young fans on the pitch when, when we're all in the shower dra- or getting changed and heading away for, for post-match meal and stuff like that. Michael will be outstanding taking pictures with kids, you know, and never shied away from it yet, you know, so he didn't. So um, definitely couldn't speak enough or highly enough about, about Michael off the pitch, you know. Um, as I said, from my point of view, when, when I came in, he was the one person that I always looked to try copy. But just the way that he did live his life off off the pitch was, was phenomenal, you know, and, and he'll be a massive miss. So he will. There's, there's no point beating around the bus. He's going to be a massive, massive miss, miss for Donegal. And not just as a player, but as a person around the dressing and as a friend, as a close, close friend to, to a lot of us, you know, it's, it's going to be a massive miss. Just looking at Michael's uh, statement here that he released on, on his uh, retirement and the last line stood out to me, Ryan, where he said, maybe in the years ahead, I'll find new ways to offer something more to my home county. Straight away, I'm thinking, future Donegal manager without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, someone with his leadership qualities, you wouldn't back against it. No, I definitely wouldn't, you know, I suppose... And there's always before in programs, before games, a lot of players get asked different questions, favourite film, favourite hobbies, blah, blah, blah. And then there's always one question, who do you think is going to be a future manager in the dressing room? 99% of the players always said Michael. So they did in the, in, in, in the answer. So they did. So nah, listen, I definitely think he has so much to offer Donegal. His pride and love for the county. Um, I think I, I couldn't see him not get involved with Donegal in the future you know whether how long he takes he takes away from the game is, is, is completely up to Michael you know um, but definitely can see him in the future whether that's coaching or management as his, his knowledge of, of the modern game especially is, is second to none so it is you know he's, he's dipped his toes into management not that long ago with uh, ATU it is now which would have been when Michael was there LYAT the college in Letterkenny um, he's managed his club Glenswilly Minor there he took Glenn's minor team to the to the championship final there only a couple of weeks ago. So he has dipped his toes into coaching and management. So I definitely can see him and, and hopefully from a Donegal point of view again in, in the very near future getting involved whether that's coaching or management and I, do, I think he'll, he'll be great. Finally, Ryan, um, how are you feeling about Donegal's 2023? You've got the Division 1 campaign, of course, first to look forward to and uh, mm-hmm. Paddy Carney had no work, a new management team in there as well. So exciting times and, and look, a very, very competitive Ulster Championship now that Derry and Armagh have stuck the hands up as well as the likes of Tyrone and Monaghan. Yeah, exactly. You know, I suppose with Michael's news over the last couple of days, it's been, you know, looking forward to a different way. You know, it's going to be a different Donegal team, so it is. You know, it's, I don't know when's the last time a, a championship, a Donegal team has fielded championship football without, without Michael, you know, so it's going to be different, but looking forward to it, you know. Um, as a player, that's what you want to do is, is play games and we're actually, I was going through it with, with a friend of mine there last day, just the, the amount of games that's actually going to be played next year. So I think it's, a really exciting time to be a Gaelic footballer. We always said that's what we want to be doing is, is playing games, playing games and, and maybe not training as much but getting in as many games. And we're going to get the opportunity to do that next year with, with the new format. So it is. So listen, it's only around the corner uh, with Kerry in the first match. Nice, easy start for us playing Kerry in the first match up in Donegal. But I'm looking forward to it. There'll be a huge crowd. So there will. Um, Any time Kerry comes to town, there's always a huge crowd. So getting back into the, into the run of things now over the next couple of weeks and, and, and trying to just put ourselves in the best position going forward. You know, as you said, it's not going to be easy. The league's going to be difficult. The Ulster Champions is going to be difficult. And then, I suppose, with the unknown, with the new format after that. So it's, it's exciting times as, as a Gaelic footballer in general with to see how the new format and everything works. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited. As I said, it's going to be a wee bit different in, in a Donegal dressing room next, next year without, my, without Michael. But as we touched on, unfortunately, all, all good things come to an end. So... And as Michael said himself, um, after my game, there's always going to be a Donegal team going forward and a Donegal team, no matter who's playing, will go out and represent the county the best way possible. So from a Donegal player, we're, we're looking forward to it and then hopefully we can put our best foot forward.
Absolutely. Ryan, uh, you've been great with your time. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. No problem at all, lads. Thanks a million. Great stuff, Ryan McHugh there, Donegal footballer, and of course, Kilcar clubman as well. My, uh, we spend a lot of time up in Carrick there, mm. up in Donegal, and near Glencolum Kill and Kilcar. If you ever drive into Kilcar, the village where Ryan's from and plays, I mean, <clears throat> it's the most scenic GA pitch mm. in the world, in the, in the country, I'd say. It's just like surrounded by the sea. It's right on the Atlantic. You've got the mountains behind it. It's just gorgeous. Is there any chance that Michael Murphy built it? He seems to have done <laughs> quite possibly. He's done everything. He's done everything that. else. He in, has uh, in Donegal GA. Yeah, there's nothing that man can't do. Uh, yeah, a huge loss uh, for Donegal for sure. Before we we, we leave, Gavin, um, more World Cup. I mean, mm. you've been obviously doing your research and analysing the, the groups and the teams ahead of the, the tournament itself. Any shouts for dark horses for winners how are you feeling about the groups will there be anyone you, you mentioned Qatar as well, earlier with Sadio Mane being out for Senegal could potentially squeeze into the last 16 but any surprises that you can foresee uh, look I and all those who listen to my predictions are all still in recovery having tipped Turkey as dark horses as the, as oh, the so, previous so did I at the previous years they absolutely stank the place out uh, who do I think will win um it, it does feel like the balance of power has finally shifted back to South America. So the World Cup has been carved up by Western Europe for the last 20 years. But I think Brazil, probably. The f- I think the, fear, the only real question mark around them is how they'll do against top-level European opposition because they haven't played them. Yeah. yeah. They've played one European team since the last World Cup and that was a 2019 friendly against Czech Republic. So mm. they haven't really been tested there. But then their top players are all playing in Champions League and yeah. most of them are playing the Premier League at this point. So... Probably Brazil. I really want Argentina to win it. Uh, I have to say, I will admit that. I Messi's would love moment. to see Messi's legacy crying. His, his, look, his legacy is secure regardless of what happens in this World Cup, but it would be amazing for him to, you know, to win for the great... I think I just like the completeness of, legacy. The, of the best player ever to play the game to have won everything there is to win, yeah. really. Um, so I hope that happens. Dark horses, um, maybe I'm overrating them because I've seen them against Ireland and seen them in the flesh, but I think Serbia are really good. Right. Once Mitrovic and Vlajevic are fit, which I think they probably will be maybe defensively a little bit suspect but they just have so many goals in that team you know they're, they're in a tough enough group with Brazil, Switzerland and Cameroon I think mm. um, so but I think maybe Serbia uh, might surprise a few of us Denmark are they dark horses can I really say yeah. that Denmark are anything but a, a horse in kind of dazzling white glare given I've seen them so bloody often <laughs> throughout my uh, throughout my life so maybe they, them among them um other other interesting things I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to see how Ghana do. Yeah, they have Chris Hutton there as a kind of a, a Bobby Robson to the manager Steve Staunton. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say they're coming in and a wing and a prayer, but the Ghanaian FA did announce two national days of fasting and prayer ahead of the World Cup right. just to give them uh, just to give them uh, a little bit more luck in this tournament. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes there. Um, and look, England are. As ever, well, this is it. Uh, a big fas- question. A fascinating story for us. If I'm, if I'm to, right, I'm going to put you completely on the spot here. Yeah, please. And do. I'm going to name each group, and you're going to very quickly give me the two teams that are going to come out of the group. Excellent. We'll, we'll go no further, right? Excellent. We'll go no further. So, Group A, we've got Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Dutch. Yeah. So Netherlands to top it with Qatar squeezing ahead of a Mane less Senegal. I like that. Group B: England, Iran, USA, Wales. England and USA. Oh, all the Welsh fans have just. Press the off button. Sorry, I'm sorry, well, you know, yeah, it's fair. USA have a strong squad, uh, probably leaning that way as well. I think they're the youngest squad in the tournament. It's just there's right. so much energy. I think. Look, I mean, if Bale is fit for three games, change he's it. the ultimate big game player, so that could change it. Yeah, but. for sure. Group C: Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland. Saudi Arabia's top, obviously. Um, <laughs> Argentina followed by Poland. Argentina followed by Poland. 
Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen, I've seen a lot of people talking about Mexico, but it was, uh, Mexico are the Irish rugby team of football world. They're not great at the minute. They get to the last sixteen, then they don't win a knockout game. They yeah. haven't won. A, they haven't been. They've been to every last sixteen since. I think it's at USA 94. Right. And they've lost in the last 16 at every World Cup since USA 94. It's like Ireland at the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, Can't yeah. get past it. Uh, Group D, France, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. Uh, France to top with Denmark second. I'd, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if Denmark top ahead of France. Yeah, seems like a fairly straightforward group. Either or, France or Denmark to top it. Yeah. Group E, uh, like this group. Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan. Yeah. I think Spain... Germany to top it Ooh. Spain second with Japan who I thought Japan would have had me Dark Horse's label had they been in an easier group tough group they'll have finished third and I think Costa Rica will lose all their games right they're going to be the wooden spoon team of the of the World Cup Them, themselves are Ghana maybe yeah. right right Group F Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia yeah it's so interesting this because this is the hipster you'd group, imagine Belgium and Croatia will be fine but they're creaking uh, mm-hmm. maybe actually uh, Croatia have regenerated themselves a little bit and obviously Modric doesn't seem to age yeah. uh, so Croatia will get through I think Belgium I think Belgium will get through but I don't think they'll go much further than the last 16 right like Alderweireld and Vertonghen are still at the back Axel Witzel could be in midfield mm. Lukaku is injured Aging. Hazard's been sitting on the bench and he's not the kind of guy who you know who, who immediately gets his match fitness back shall we yeah. say and Canada probably won't have enough to get out of the group but like can you imagine the pace of oh. like Alfonso Davis and these guys on the counter yeah, if he's fit against, for the opening game against hope. that Belgian defence yeah, it could yeah. be it could be ugly um, and sorry who do we say the other team uh, in that so group Tunisia oh Tunisia um, yeah I will uh, sorry what, which group we're talking about uh, oh, Belgium sorry. Canada oh, Morocco, Morocco Croatia yeah so yeah. Morocco had dropped I mean the, the coach a Bosnian coach is it Oh, I can't remember his name. It begins with... I, I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> He's a kind of an anti-Carlos Kiroz. So Kiroz is back as World Cup in charge of Iran again. Yes. I th- I'm sure we all we all have had our moments watching Carlos <laughs> Kiroz teams. They're not exactly... It's not exactly champagne football. Tough to watch. Uh, so I thought we wouldn't see him at this World Cup because he left Iran after 2018 to take the Columbia job. Got yes. Got sacked for right. not qualifying. Then took the Egypt job. Job Got sacked for not qualifying. And Iran hired him again anyway. So he's back. And the, uh, sorry, to complete this anecdote, the guy who qualified Morocco, who's again, his name escapes me, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the third time now he's qualified a team for the World Cup and been sacked just before the World Cup. Um, so uh, they've, got a, they've got a local guy in charge. They've brought back Ziyech because um, uh, the previous coach had fallen out with him. I think that's probably why they, why they, uh, why he ended up getting, getting the sack. So, but I don't think they'll have enough. I think, uh, I do think Croatia will top it. I think Belgium will squeak through in second, but yeah. won't go a whole lot further. Morocco beat Georgia 3-0 in a friendly last night. Ziyech was on the, on the score sheet. So. Farage Kelly wasn't playing, I don't, I don't think right. so. So they have a bit of strength and depth still to come back in. Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Yeah, really good group this. Uh, I think Brazil will top it. Uh, and I've one of the games I've applied for that I'm looking forward to most if I can get in is Serbia against Switzerland Brilliant. in the final group game. That feels like a shootout for second place among countries with a certain amount of history between them. They had a cracker um, and, a quite <laughs> and quite a controversial one at the previous World Cup. So I think Serbia. I'll stick with my dark horses tag Ooh. and Serbia to, to beat Switzerland there. A lot of people saying the Swiss because the Swiss like progressing out, out of the group. Roy Keane went for the Swiss, I think, to progress second, but that will be a, a classic game, that Serbia Switzerland match. Shootout. Not really not Cameroon, but I mean, 
Serbian Switzerland. Well, Cameroon, Cameroon have. I mean, genuinely, the Cameroon manager is Rigobert Song, and the yeah. the attack, the question posed to him is, "Can you make room in your team for the most informed striker in the world?" <laughs> Eric Maxim Chupamoto, yeah, once yeah, of yeah. Stoke, has been unbelievable for Bayern this year. Yeah, and he's not necessarily in their starting team. Which you gotta is put kind him of in. Gotta put uh, they have to have to, they have to pick him. They Form. absolutely have to pick him. The final group is Group H: Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. Yeah, this is kind of a group of flaws, really. I mean, I'm, none of those teams really stand out. South Korea, hopefully Son is fully fit. It looks like he probably will be, although he's not exactly taking red-hot club form in. Um, Portugal will get through. I know Alan Quinlan wants to see them win the tournament. I don't think they will. They have a Ronaldo problem in the sense that they'll play him and they won't drop him, but they're a much better team without him. Uh, I think they'll probably qualify. Uruguay are a bit of an unknown quantity. Mm. Um, you know, the you look at the squad and you think, well, that's an ancient squad because it's got Cavani, Suarez and, and Diego yeah. Godin. But then they've got, you know, Fede Valverde, who's been at Madrid. He's been genuinely one of the best midfielders in Europe this year. They've also the, you know, the the agent of chaos, Darwin Nunez. So oh, it remains to be seen what happens with them. So they're a little bit unpredictable, but um, I'll go with Uruguay to top the group with Portugal in second. Interesting. Yeah, that could that could make for some uh, fairly feisty last sixteen ties, I'd imagine. Uh, Gavin, great stuff as always. Thanks, many in this morning. What you're flying to tomorrow afternoon? Direct to Doha tomorrow afternoon. I miss Ireland, Australia. Direct to Doha from uh, from Dublin, and then I uh, will arrive at a hotel that hopefully exists. Well, hopefully, when you land, yeah, and it's not just a tent in the desert. That would be that would be a start, a nice start yeah. to, the, to the to the trip. Uh, Gavin, great stuff. Thanks, as always Shane. this morning. Really Thanks, million. OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. OTBM back Monday morning. I'll be with uh, Jer in studio, and we'll present you with some world class Gillette Labs performance rankings. We'll have all the reaction, of course, to the opening game of the uh, the World Cup. Qatar. Qatar and Ecuador on Sunday Ireland's huge test with Australia from tomorrow evening plus much more besides right now we're leaving you with the uh, the one and only Canada's finest import Kevin Caban he joined myself and uh, Adrian yesterday ahead of the start of the World Cup we talked Canada's chances and of course Ronaldo's interviews with uh, Pierce Morgan as well enjoy and have a great weekend OTB AM Alright World Cup this weekend Canada calling come in Kevin Caban how are you? I'm very good Shane how's it going? Keeping well, keeping well. Any snow over there at the minute? What's the weather like? Yeah, we've just had a bit of snow um, the last couple of days. Really now, it's just started minus four and five overnight now, really. So the, the weather's seriously turned in the last week, yeah. The local um, shop was obviously they were running out of warm jackets, were they? That was, all, that was all that was left, or how did that come about? Well, this is just, it's just like, as you can see, it's like a bit of a fleece top just to keep you warm, Adrian, you know? You know, you're no more than yourself in your pink, uh, your pink uh, t-shirt there, you know? Very stylish. No, no, it's great. It's great that you're very, you're very observant about people's fashion. We should start a fashion podcast, lads. This is, uh, so this is excellent. Good shout. Um, no, Shane, you don't talk about fashion. Absolutely please. right, Kev. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't really talk. Kev, there must be a bit of, um, bit of excitement there. 1986 was the last time the Canadians qualified for the, for the World Cup. Must be a, a decent bit of build-up. Yeah, I, 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 it definitely is. I think it's really with the hardcore fans, uh, Shane, to be honest with you. It's, um, it has been a long time coming, but I think it's probably gone under the radar with so many sports supporters here. Or, you know, I think we're getting, um, certainly the soccer's getting a lot of publicity over, you know, they're getting a lot of airtime just over the, the general networks here over the last, probably especially over the last two or three weeks, particularly when they, when they qualified back in March now, as it turned out. But as we're getting closer and, cl- and closer, you're starting to feel a, b- a little bit of momentum because you, you, you really are seeing it. It's almost like front and centre now, yeah. 
Is there expectations of getting out of the group? Uh, maybe not expectations. It's a tough enough group to be in. Um, but but certainly the target, I guess, will be last 16. The target probably is, yeah, of course, to get out. Expectations, Shane, I'm, I mean, re- you've got to be realistic and say they're playing against two of the top probably six or eight teams in the world in, in Belgium and, and Croatia. Morocco themselves, if you look through their squad of players, they've got a real talented play, uh, group of players as well. So I think results, there's been a lot, so much negativity around um, around the team and around Canada soccer after qualification. You, you have to say that they're still in dispute over bonus over bonuses ahead of the World Cup. That's not been sorted. What We're, we're only a couple of days ahead of the tournament, four or five days ahead of uh, Canada's first game against Belgium. But they're... I think the feeling is certainly I think within that group of players around us and everything that's been said around the society, we just concentrate on, on on the football itself. And the coach John Herbman, you know, he's got a he's got a background of coaching the the Canada women's team, background in New Zealand originally. Um, he's a, he's from the northeast of England, but he he has I think he's got them focused in a way where look, let's put the sideshow apart and let's just get concentrating on the team. And in fairness, results haven't been great, performances haven't been great. I don't I mean. People probably wouldn't have seen the Uruguay game. Outside Uruguay, they've not really played an awful lot of quality opposition. They've played Qatar, they've played uh, Bahrain recently. And they're not really a, a, a level of team where you can judge them going into Belgium. And that's where probably a lot of the team are. But the Japan game, I think, has gone very well for the, for, the, for the team. I think they've been playing very well in that Japan game. It's more of a, a, a test or more of a judge on where the team's going to be. And a lot of the key players are back, Jonathan David, from Lille, who probably moved, Tejan Buchanan, who's just moved over to, to Belgium recently as well, playing excellently well, Champions League player this season. So the big players are back, but the worry is around Alfonso Davies, whether or not he'll be fit for that um, for that Belgium game. He seems to get the best out of his players as well, Herdman, doesn't he? He's one of these coaches, and look, as you said, Alfonso Davies is the player they'll be sweating on, but... Um, you know, even reasonably good players, 7 out of 10 players, he seems to get the most out of them, John Herdman. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key player actually, Shane, Stefan Astakio, who plays with Porto. Um, I don't know if anyone's been maybe keeping an eye on Porto. They've done really well in the Champions League uh, this season. And Astakio's been one of the key players for them. Uh, he is the main player. Um, I think there'll be a lot of you guys, if you do watch Canada, you'll really like watching him play. He's a holding midfielder or, mm-hmm. you know, he can play as a six and a, 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 or an eight as he plays for uh, for Porto. Gets forward, can score goals, but... He does play a little bit more um, de- uh, reclined for, um, for for Canada as as a as a holder essentially. So I think Estacio will be the key player for them to get them fit. But if the game changer, the real game changer, will be Alfonso Davies. He doesn't play left back like he plays for Bayern. He plays further forward. We might see him as a ten in the tournament, playing off Jonathan David, or we will most likely see him on the left hand side of midfield because it will probably be a five four one setup for them with Buchanan on the right and, and how they can counter against sides with, with their pace. And I, I think they can score goals. I think there's a lot of talent in this team. So, as I said, expectations have, have maybe been tempered a little bit, but I, I do feel there's a lot of talent in this side that they can score goals. I was watching the uh, FIFA documentary on Netflix show the weekend. It's Shaka Hislop and some of the Trinidad and Tobago players talking about how they got stiffed by Jack Warner for fees and contracts and all that stuff. And I thought, geez, yeah. that's really archaic. So I'm astonished in some ways to hear that. Did you say the the pay stuff that had cropped up in June that 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 they went on strike about at that time? That's not resolved even now. No, it's not no. resolved. Still not resolved, Adrian. There's a lot of negativity around the side. You know, they they had a friendly arranged against Iran in the summer. I think it was June. They had a game. Um, 
anyone who knows politically it was a, it was a maybe a, a bad game to arrange i think for 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 canada simply because of the uh, of the missile that struck down uh, the airliner a few years ago that killed numerous uh, canadians they were under pressure from justin trudeau the pre- uh, the prime minister to cancel that uh, to cancel that game they did cancel it they hastily arranged another game which the players boycotted themselves refused to play over this bonuses uh, of this bonus uh, that they haven't got in place i think the women and the guys are both on board which you know, it's quite unique what they're trying to do here. They're trying to say, look, if the men's team qualify for a major tournament, the pot's going to be split between the women and the men. And also when the women, which obviously they're in our group for, for the World Cup, um, so that'll be interesting to see how how, uh, how our women do against Canada come uh, come next year in, in Australia. But they're splitting the pot again with the men and the women's team. They're trying to uh, equal pay, still not sorted here yet for, for match fees. Which again, considering how well the Canadian women have done over the last ten or fifteen years, it, it, it's crazy that one really. But um, hopefully that will be sorted and that will be done and dusted. But there's a lot, there's a lot going on, you, you know. Oh, you know, down in cattle class, we, we've we've heard it all before. Us as Irish supporters, we we've heard it all before. You know, we've we've seen probably or we've lived what's probably going on now, which maybe happened within our organisation twenty years ago. So there's a lot that they need sorted, Adrian. But as I said, I think John Herbman has tried to park all the negativity that's around the team uh, going into this tournament and tried to say, look, just focus on the on the um, on the match itself or the matches themselves, because there's so many players that are nowhere near the level that they'll be playing against. Certainly, you know, playing a lot of them play MLS football, a lot of them play maybe lower league football around Europe. So the big players like Alfonso Davies or Stacchio or Jonathan David, Buchanan, these guys that I spoke about earlier, these are the guys they're going to be re- reliant on to get them results in, in those big games against uh, Belgium and Croatia. One man who will be at the World Cup, Kev, is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And a uh, bit of a circus around this interview with, with uh, Piers Morgan. And um, the timing of it, I guess, has been, been one, one issue that certainly has been brought up. But like, what was your take on the whole thing? Clearly, the United players aren't happy and it seems... Um, you know, when you go attacking your manager, yeah, uh, it's not great, is it? No, yeah, that, that's him, isn't it? Let's be honest. I don't think we, I don't think anybody in the wildest dreams or wildest thoughts would ever think that Cristiano Ronaldo is not vain. It's not all about Cristiano Ronaldo. That's the way that he's played his whole career, and that's what he's he's been about. So, realistically, he he's on the wane as a player, and I think we. He, it's, it's hard to accept. It was hard. It's hard at whatever level that you're playing at. It's hard to accept that you're not the player that you probably once once was. And I think I don't think he probably realised how much he would probably have to give to the team aspect. I think that's one thing that he could probably get away with in Spain. I think anyone that's watched him over the last ten or fifteen years realised that Real Madrid's team was built around him. You had the work uh, workmen around him that freed him up to play on the left hand side. You know. Gareth Bale and, and him clashed numerous times over the years um, because of the position that Bale was asked to play, not necessarily able to fit into that side. So there's a number of things where you kind of knew when he signed it wasn't necessarily going to work out, given United, and they were never able to build a side around him. They would have had to probably been three or four different players that would have had to go in to suit him. And yeah, he's going to, he's going to score goals, but realistically, anyone watching United knew full well that he, he wasn't probably the right fit for United and what they needed when they brought him in. So it's just, it's boiled over frustration that's come out in him. And I mean, I mean, I, I actually didn't like the interview, listening to it and watching it. I'm sure a lot of people here. I, I just think there's so many leading questions within within the interview. Um, I just kind of watching it going, the state of the pair of them actually watching it. 
So, Ronaldo, that's the only thing I can say on it, Shane. I, that's my take on it. I didn't expect anything less from him. Uh, I don't think he'll play again for United. He shouldn't play again for United. And that's maybe seems to be the message that's coming out of United over the last 24, 48 hours. I thought it was a hard watch for if you respected everything he's done as a player. It was a hard watch in the sense that he was the critique of people like Neville or Rooney. The the differences in the, you know, well, he just he, his analysis around that stuff just seems so wrong headed to me that like he viewed any criticism of him as a player as being negative comment out of it. I, for me, it was like if there's all been all this conversation about the tension around did United were they trying to get rid of him or were they blocking a move from to go somewhere? But if I'm a manager at the club now looking at that playing out, I mean I know managers do tend to delude themselves that I can get the best out of this guy. I'll bring him in, put the arm around him. But you're looking at that. Piers Morgan is banging on about getting whatever it was, 40 million views or whatever today on part one. Um, if you're a manager looking at that, I'm not sure you want to put yourself in the in the path of that, even given what he's done as a player. No, I, I your agent, to be honest. No, I'm giving you my opinion on it. I know, you're giving me opinion, but asking me <laughs> at the same time. Um, no, I know. I, I think that's fair. It is. Uh, as I said before, it's... It, it, it's all around, you know, he's, he's done that interview for a reason, hasn't he? The way that he's done that interview. He's done that reason, uh, that interview, sorry, for a reason of, I want to get as many views as possible. I want to get my story. He's trying to control the narrative of that story, isn't he? That's exactly what he's tried to do. Rather than say, well, look, things aren't going particularly well for me at my, at my club. I'm not necessarily in, you know, in the team at the moment. I'm going to work hard to get back inside. We know those days are gone now, particularly for the level of play that Cristiano Ronaldo is. But, I don't know. It, it almost seems to me it's a bit sad. I don't know. Did you not yeah. watch it? In, uh, bits that, the clips that I've seen, I've not seen the interview yet, actually. I've just been seeing the clips that's been drip-fed onto, onto Twitter and various uh, social media feeds. And it's just quite sad. You said before, given what he's achieved and everything that he's achieved, rightly so because of the player that he, that he was. But it just seems quite sad that a player would reduce himself to doing an interview with Piers Morgan in that way. When he talks about, in that interview... There's so many players that aren't professional enough. Man United, it's not about the football. Well, if it's about the football to Ronaldo, then he wouldn't be doing that interview, would he? Let's be quite honest about that. So you know full well there's a different agenda there. So um, that's the way that I viewed it. I don't. I, I just think, as I said before, I just think it's sad. I think it's it's almost like a sad end to him because there's talk of him coming coming over to the MLS over here. So we'll, I'll watch that probably to see if if that does come about. Um, but I, I can't. I, I, he's not going to go to a top. He's not going to go to a top four club in any league, is he? Let's be honest. You can't see PSG taking him, who realistically got a chance to win the Champions League. You know, there was talk of Chelsea where their owner was talking of bringing him in because he wants that maybe star profile, that social media uh, uh, superstar, I suppose, to come into the team. But I can't imagine Graham Potter being able to handle that type of personality in that dressing room. I, I just can't see it. So in England, no. Spain, no, absolutely not. And if you look at Italy, I mean, if you look at Juventus the way that they, they are now, he's almost crippled that club financially with the financial package that he had in place. Juventus are miles off where they were three or four years ago before they signed Ronaldo. So, honestly, I, I just think it's a sad end to him. And, you know, I think you can maybe go back to Portugal and, you know, see out your days. If he wants to carry on playing, there's still a place for him within some side. But at the top elite level, there doesn't seem to be a, a place for him uh, in any side. Yeah, maybe it will be the MLS, as you say, Kev. Um, a lot of those MLS guys will come up against England, Gareth Southgate's England uh, at this World Cup. A bit of expectation around the US squad, a lot of those with, with Premier League yeah. experience, some of those Leeds players as well. Like, Do you think um, you think Southgate knows his best team? How do you think England are set heading into the World Cup? Um, 
I, I mean, watching England at the Euros, uh, Shane. I mean, I, I was actually really, really disappointed with Southgate's setup in that in that tournament throughout. I know they got to the final, but ultimately, I think it was a setup that cost them in the final against against Italy. But maybe going back to the US team, I, I, you said there, there's a lot of hype, bit of hype around them. Maybe there's a lot of expectation. I, I don't rate them, Shane. I don't think they're a good side. Um, I've seen a, an awful lot of them, particularly through qualification here in Concacaf. Um, Anyone that looks at the Morocco game, they beat Morocco earlier on this year. They beat them 3-0. Take nothing from that game because they, they give up a lot of chances in the match. And Morocco, it was almost like a, a, a testimonial game. It was just so open, the game. But I saw them play Japan recently. They lost to Japan. Um, there's a lot of energy in the team, Shane, with, with the US. And you, you mentioned the Aronson and um, Tyler Adams at lead. Tyler Adams, I think, is a really good player, actually. Aronson plays a lot of energy. But there's not a lot of creativity in the side. I don't think personally. Pulisic is a player again, plays with a lot of energy. But is there a lot of is there an end product with him? Personally, I don't think there is. Uh, the captain Walker Zimmerman plays in the MLS. Um, a bit of a liability is the way that I see it. Turner, the goalkeeper, who's now signed for, uh, for for Arsenal. I don't rate him. I don't. I don't see him as a real top class goalkeeper. I'm picking apart side here. Gee, I sound awful, but. I don't see them at the level that maybe they see themselves at. McKinney, who plays at Juventus, I quite like him. I think he's a bit of a powerhouse, but at times he's sloppy in possession. He's more of a, a runner from midfield who can arrive in the penalty area and score a goal. But playing the US side, I think he's got to play a bit deeper. So defensively, they have Dest, uh, who's at AC Milan now from Barcelona. Again, he's another one who's not great defensively. Very good getting forward, pacey, quick going forward. But I don't see him as a, a, a real outstanding defender. England should exploit you at the US. I don't think they're as good as they are. CONCACAF, as a region here, Canada topped it, I thought, convincingly. They were the best team by far. Mexico, probably the worst team I've ever seen from Mexico. If, if anyone that would have watched Mexico in World Cups gone by, you wait to watch Mexico because there's a bit of a buzz and excitement around them, the energy they play with. I've not seen that from Mexico. I've not seen it in the friendlies that, the, um, that, the, that they've been playing recently as well. So, I wouldn't judge anything from Mexico going into this tournament as well. Um, but the US, I think they should be dispatched by England. I think England have got way too much for, for them and Iran. I expect England to get nine points. Wales, you know, I don't think Wales, in all honesty, I don't think they've got the squad that they had maybe four, six years ago as well. I know Bale's the enigma that can produce something. He did that in the MLS Cup final, if anyone would have seen that last minute to equalise to take the game for to penalties for LAFC. But he just not played an awful lot of games, Shane. And so I, I think if I'm looking at that group, England should convincingly take nine points. But judging that from the nine points they'll probably get from that group, seven at least, I don't necessarily see them as a team that's going to go out and, and get deep into the tournament. I just don't, I think there's too many question marks around England. If I'm looking at a lot of the other sides that, that I think potentially have got, are in a better place ahead of this tournament. Uh, it just struck me, who are you going to support at the Women's World Cup, Ireland or Canada? Ah, come on, Jesus Christ. Why would I support... I'm, I'm Irish. I'm Irish. Jeez, why would I support anybody? The best when, have, when, when have I ever hot nations? <laughs> Tell me when. Was there not an England underage squad? I was picked I mean, for I England underage and I, and I turned them down, as you well know. Yeah, so why... Kind of worms here. Yeah, you're just, you're, just, you're just waffling on there. You're trying are, to you look for for the, um, are you out for the duration? No matter what happens with Canada? No, I am, yeah. I'm there for the duration. I'm, I'm looking forward... To the knockout stages, actually, as it's going to turn out, I think that's when we know it'll get interesting. I know that, that you know a, a lot of the crap that's around this uh, this World Cup, and you know, I, I honestly, I think I'm really interested to see how it's going to be um, be 
reported over there on, on Qatari television um, with everything that's gone on around it, the World Cup. And I'm trying to, you mentioned that, that documentary, the FIFA documentary. I've actually downloaded it, so I'm going to watch it on the plane uh, when I'm heading over there. Um, but how they were given the World Cup, the human rights issues, the LGBTQ uh, and, and, you know, all the issues they've got around um, uh, homosexuality out there in, in Qatar, women's rights, all these sort of things. I'm going to be interested to see how it goes out there. And, um, you know, let's be honest, Qatar shouldn't be hosting a World Cup. I think we all recognise that. And there's a, there is a an, an ill feeling around the World Cup being in Qatar. But we simply have to look at the football. And I think we'll all look at it once the tournament actually does start. And we look at how it's going to how it's going to go. Not least because it's a winter tournament. It shouldn't be played in the winter. We know that. And there's a lot of players that feel tired coming into this World Cup because of the the uh, the, the amount of games that's been I'm just looking forward, honestly, to seeing... Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Croatia because they're a team I've, I've watched an awful lot. I'm looking forward to see how they go. I'm looking forward to seeing Brazil. I think Brazil have got a great chance of winning it. I think we've got the best squad. Let's see how France go. Can they retain it? There's a lot of things I'm looking to, to really go and experience out there, but um, there's a lot of other issues, I think, that uh, that that I'll be probably play, uh, uh, keeping a close eye on as well. Yeah, there was a, certainly a couple of weird scenarios that cropped up during the week. There was a Danish TV guy that got approached by... Yeah. Three or four heavies in a in a golf cart. Grant Wall was reprimanded for uh, taking a photograph of some slogan in a I don't know, was it a dressing room or a press room? Was, and, and the facilities for fans look to be fire festival esque, yeah. is how I described it in terms yeah. of it. Um, yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not great. Is there any part of you that's concerned, or are you you comfortable enough? Um, a little bit. And honestly, God, I, I tell you, the amount of traveling that I've done over the years. First of all, honestly, I'm 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 actually. I'm actually a little bit anxious for the first time actually traveling just simply because leaving the family, I think it's been, yeah. I haven't, I haven't left Canada in three years. And I, the amount, I said, the amount of traveling that I was doing when I was working with you guys and off the ball over there, and I was going back and forth to England an awful lot. Uh, I, I was having two and three flights a week, four flights a week. Sometimes it was crazy. The schedule that, that I had, and I've had a, a lot of downtime in the last few years. And um, I'm probably a bit, a little bit anxious because of that. I've, I have to, I have to say that's what I'm feeling. Not least because I'm going to to a country that that, as I said before, it's 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 hard to ever have imagined Qatar the, with with all the the there may be records or maybe anywhere across the Middle East with with the records on um on 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 as I said before on homosexuality and all these sort of things that are outlawed. It's it's hard to imagine I'm going to a country the first time I'm actually really leaving Canada I'm, uh, since I've arrived here I'm going to a country that's so alien to us and to our thinking to to the Irish way of thinking that's the way that I feel so it's going to be it's going to be strange for me it is uh, but in answer to your question yeah there is probably a little bit of, of anxiety in me for the first time when I've ever travelled in my life yeah I have to say that Kev great stuff uh, well listen hopefully you can enjoy some of it at least and um, here's to Canada getting out of the group and doing some damage and um Right, we'll yeah. we check Let's in see. with you daily across the World Cup as well. All right, take it easy. Thanks, guys. Looking forward Here's to man, it. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.